The following program is an MLWRadio.com production. Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Barry Windham, The Rock and Roll Express, The Midnight Express. These are some of the people you're going to be hearing about on today's very special Thanksgiving show. But they're also people you could meet at WrestleCade this weekend. WrestleCade weekend is one of the largest independent wrestling events in the country and will bring together more than 100 of your favorite wrestling superstars. It's this weekend, November 24th, 25th, and 26th at the Benton Convention Center in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. WrestleCade weekend is this weekend and there's only a few tickets left. But if you can't go this year... Go next year. Now, I know for sure I'm going to see my buddies John and Chad from the two-man Power Trip of Wrestling podcast because they got Arn and Tully and Barry and Kevin Sullivan and Shane Douglas. Hope to see you there. For any and all information about WrestleCade, go to WrestleCade.com. WAW Monday. Talking about the great years of World Championship Wrestling the NWA, and Jim Crockett Promotions. And now, let's go to the ring, and here's your co-host, hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When? Thursday. That's right, it's not Monday, it's your new Thanksgiving tradition, and the man of the hour, Mr. Tony Schiavone. Tony, what's going on, man? How are you? (laughs) Happy Thanksgiving. Is there a happy Thanksgiving song that I could sing this? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Well, I hope your Thanksgiving's been fine, Conrad. You had a lot of food today. Well, it's uh it's always a celebration in the Thompson household. This is like fat guy Christmas, man. It's it's all the benefits of Christmas without all that shopping and spending. Instead, right. you just get the family together, you get some food together, you get a little wrestling. It's like a, it's a fat wrestling fan's dream. It really is. And I, I'd like to say that we've had a great Thanksgiving dinner here at the Shivani household, but uh, Lois, not much of a cook, uh, unless she can call Domino's. She doesn't really put out a pretty good spread. So, uh, <laughs> they don't we, have Turkey uh, pizza over there. I thought they'd have Turkey pizza. No, we, uh, we, we've had some actually, uh, Lois and I went out to eat today. Really? Yes, uh, because the kids were uh, on their own uh, doing other things. Matt didn't come down from New York City, so just Lois and I for Thanksgiving. So we went out. We usually go to the Dillard House in uh, the mountains of uh, Al- uh, Alabama, <laughs> of the mountains of Georgia. Uh, and uh, so we've had a pretty good Thanksgiving. But uh, I want to talk a little Starcade here because when I was younger, Starcade was my Thanksgiving tradition. As a fan. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm going to go pre-Starcade. Before Starcade became Starcade in 1983, there was always a big Thanksgiving day or Thanksgiving night show at the Greensboro Coliseum. From like and 1961 because, forward. Right. And because that was the, the best and the biggest venue for Jim Crockett promotions back then, when they decided to do their very big first Starcade, Greensboro was the natural selection. Uh, and then of course, then they got into TBS and put their show on TBS and it became Greensboro and Atlanta. Yeah. And it was Greensboro and Atlanta for a couple of years. It's worth mentioning that Greensboro doesn't have the world's biggest population, of course, especially not even on the Jim Crockett map, but it was this tradition where fans had sort of been preconditioned on Thanksgiving night. 
you went to Greensboro for wrestling, going all back to all the way back to the early sixties. So Atlanta sort of had their own little tradition where they would light the town Christmas tree in the middle right. of downtown Atlanta. And they would do that at like seven or seven thirty in the evening. So some brilliant wrestling promoter said, Hey, all these people are here. There's like a hundred thousand people out here to see them like this damn tree. Let's try to hold an event. They could just walk to or very close by and see if we couldn't sell some tickets. So they started drawing pretty good houses there too in Atlanta. So wrestling in the South had sort of become a Thanksgiving tradition in both Greensboro and Atlanta. And, uh, we're going to talk about that because this is the first year they sort of deviate from that. It was a Thanksgiving tradition. Uh, the, the Christmas tree you're talking about in Atlanta was Rich's department Christmas tree downtown Atlanta, uh, and was very close to the Omni. Uh, but it was a Thanksgiving tradition because now we're going back to the 80s, 70s, and you mentioned 60s because there wasn't much to do at home after you've had your big Thanksgiving meal. And it's not like you have Netflix today and a thousand channels or video games or DVDs or what have you or podcasts that you can hook into on Thanksgiving. If you wanted to do something, you had to go out and do it. And a lot of people had what they called cabin fever on Thanksgiving. And that's where wrestling had its biggest day. But Starcade 87, as you said, as you mentioned, was a deviation of that. And I kind of equated to NASCAR going out of the South. NASCAR went out of the South. Of course, they're in Chicago now, Kansas, uh, Las Vegas, New Hampshire. They're trying to be more of a national sport. And it's, I believe NASCAR has alienated a lot of its fans. And I tell you, Jim Crockett Promotions, of all the efforts they put into it, I thought alienated a lot of fans during Starcade 87. And I know personally a lot of fans were very upset because they thought Starcade was theirs. It was their own event. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and encourage everybody to fire up the WWE Network because I've got lots of news and notes about this. It does feel like the best of times and the worst of times for Jim Crockett Promotions because they're sort of entering into the big leagues, but at what expense? So we're going to go ahead and give you your, your time cues here uh, with a, a little help from our friends. Three, two, one. Play. Thank you very much, sweetheart. Now get back to the kitchen. <laughs> oh, I've always wanted to say that uh, without getting hit in the jaw. Uh, this is back. Starcade 87, Chi-Town Heat, uh, Chi-Town Heat, whatever, Chicago, Illinois, uh, glory bound. And this is before the elaborate and, and I think very, uh, very cool, uh, very cool opening here, wouldn't you say? Before all the, uh, the different graphics we have now, this was just your basic opening and take a look at these two young men here. Woo. <laughs> uh, a little note, little side note. I was very sick, uh, that night. What, what did you have food poisoning from Lois? I did not have food poisoning for Lois. This was the night, uh, after, uh, <clears throat> I, I think I've uh, talked about it. Arn Anderson and all of us went out and Arn got uh, pretty, uh, pretty drunk. Remember and David Crockett and I had to drag him into the hotel lobby. Uh, and I have, was feeling the effects of that as well. Long time ago, would never do that again in my older age. But back then in 1987, 30 years ago, that was me running with a horseman. Woo. And here comes uh, actually three of my favorites. Jimmy Jam Garvin with Precious. I still call him Jam. I don't know why. 
uh, and a very slender Michael P.S. Hayes. I said slender because, as we know, Michael's really a fat ass now. And here comes Sting. And here's another part of this, Conrad. Maybe the greatest ring announcer ever. And I say that with all affection to Howard Finkel, Gary Capetta, David Penzer. But there was nobody to me, and, and I say this because it's where I grew up. Right. Nobody to me like Tom Miller. Yeah, it's weird that you say that because I wouldn't have Tom Miller in my top five because I didn't grow up on him, you know? So right. I, I think everybody just sort of gravitates to who they grew up on. Uh, but this is an interesting time in the promotion here because you see a lot of influence from the UWF purchase. And I couldn't help but notice when I watched this back this week, there are tons of empty seats uh, in the background. But this did sell out about two weeks prior, roughly 9,000 tickets sold here. Or we, of course, are at the uh, UIC Pavilion and here we see Eddie hot stuff, Gilbert. That's the way Tom Miller would introduce him. And t Larry Zabisco, who's a top guy in the AWA world champion. He's here in the opening match. what do you think about Larry Zabisco in an opener here? Well, I thought it was great because I thought he was a great worker. And, uh, again, uh, uh, this is a, this is a dusty promotion, so to speak, a dusty booking. He always liked to start with something and some guys that could work. Interesting, uh, Introduction here by uh, Truck and Tom Miller. Sting was introduced as every man's nightmare. I don't remember that, but I heard him say that, and I guess that's what uh, Sting kind of used uh, back in the day. Yeah, I don't think he used it for long. Uh, right. I, I enjoyed Michael PSA's coming out here and doing his dancing. I think the Freebird School of Dance is to just like stand on the ropes and then point with both fingers at your friend or your tag team partner. There's like That's the free bird it. point. That's like the school of dance, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Gorgeous. Jimmy Garvin. And of course, precious, who is just absolutely gorgeous and uh, such a nice lady. I've, I've talked so much about her before and, uh, great opening bout. You notice the ring apron TWN, the wrestling network, which is what the Crockett's were going to call their network of mid Atlantic and UWF wrestling. So the concept is, uh, and we're going to break this down in long form on the show, of course, but, um, Watts had just sold his syndicated time or the rights to that syndicated time to Crockett. So now Crockett right. is going to assume this much larger uh, syndicated network. And the plan is to brand it as TWN, right? The wrestling network, which will be a, a combination of the NWA and UWF. But as we moved along, they kind of pushed the UWF out, which you can say there was good or bad things because of that. But the fact is, is that. It almost, to me, on a smaller scale, kind of uh, was a forerunner of of Vince McMahon and what he did to the old WCW. No doubt about it. It was certainly um, the example of what not to do with an invasion or, or an acquisition. And this is an interesting matchup here because you've got Sting working underneath, and he's not necessarily a top babyface yet because he wasn't in the UWF. And now, of course, he's over here in Jim Crockett. But just a few months after this, at the very first Clash of the Champions, he's going to be in a prime spot against Ric Flair. And this right here is a perfect example of of the production difference between the WWF and Crockett at the time. We missed maybe the most spectacular move of the night, Sting going over the top down to Rick Steiner. Yeah, and, you know, I, I thought about that. There was a couple of other moves that we're, we're going to miss that, that are to the storyline, uh, to a couple of matches. And, and let me say this. It... it, it uh, it brought back a memory to me when someone in the truck. Now, our our director at that time was a guy from uh, 
Columbia, South Carolina. His name was Toby. And I don't remember his last name, but he was a good guy. He was our director. He worked at a station in Columbia, South Carolina. When he would miss a shot like that, Jim Crockett would go to the truck. Jim was always in the back with the boys, but he would go to the truck and he would ream Toby out, man. He was a, at, Jim Crockett was at times a, a very difficult, demanding guy to work for. And he would go in, you know, open the door to the truck, say, what the fuck are you guys doing? And slam the door to the truck. So it was pretty cool back then. One of the things I found interesting about this match is, uh, how jacked Rick Steiner is. It yeah, feels like at this point he, he's on a diet of chicken breast and testosterone only. Yes. Something that you could probably get at Choney's. Uh, <laughs> and, and a tag is made in Sting and Michael PSAs. Also, you notice uh, the referee here is not one of our regular referees. And that's because this was our uh, a tip of the cap, I guess, to the, uh, to the Chicago or the Illinois Sports Commission. Let them have one of their referees in there and this guy was really bad. Well, this referee here, it looks like he has escaped an old folks home. He looks like Homer Simpson's dad. Yeah. And he may have, as a matter of fact, and now we're going to tag in who got tagged in that time. Well, he went to tag Eddie good. Gilbert, but Zabisco just took over. He decided he was done being the uh, cigar store Indian. One of my yeah, favorite listen. moments in the match. We missed a moment ago when they were doing the triple drop kick, Jimmy right. Garvin does a drop kick and then jumps up and corrects his hair very quickly. And then goes back to punching. Which yeah, I thought that, was that, hilarious that in mid fight, he wants to fix the hair. That's awesome. Yeah. Good. Uh, he always did that. And that was good stuff. I thought we had good reaction shots in this one. This was, uh, you know, this was, uh, again, we were kind of behind Vince McMahon and, and the production values, but I thought we did a very good job of getting reaction shots to the fans. I like natural reaction shots that are not, not fans mugging the camera or not the the stupid reaction shots they get now in the WWE. Look at oh, how Zabisco is selling his ass off here for the free burns. About that. Michael had him by the nose and another great, great job of Zabisco hitting the ropes hard. And that is so important when you're working against with your opponent, you're working with your opponent, hit the ropes hard. And that means whatever happens when you come off the ropes, uh, does very, very well. All right, here's Eddie Gilbert, and uh, here's another young man who left us way too soon. Isn't it amazing that you've got two of the most creative people in wrestling in the, in the ring right now? Yeah, no question. And, and we know that, that Michael Hayes is with the WWE. Eddie Gilbert was very creative, uh, did a lot of great stuff, and I liked him. I, I thought getting Eddie Gilbert as part of our company was was a big bonus when he came over with the UWF. It's pretty amazing when you think about just the level of talent that's in this ring right now, because all over these guys had been top stars in regional territories. Of course, right. Gilbert was a big deal in Memphis. Uh, Rick Steiner has been a big deal everywhere he went. Of course, he's very early in his career here, but tremendous runs. The Freebirds were hot everywhere they went. Of course, in Texas, Garvin was over like Grover and Sting, one of the biggest stars in the history of the sport. One of the biggest stars in the history of the sport, and as you mentioned, not right now, uh, but will be in, in just about a year. Of course, it was the Clash of the Champions match, I really think, that made him. Yeah, and, and uh, that's important to remember. You're talking, what, March or April, and we're in November here. So just four or five months after this, he's right. in a featured spot, you know, being made, essentially, by Ric Flair. 
Yeah, being made, but also Sting did a great job. Sting, you could watch him here and see the things that he did and see that he was going to be a big star. He really was because of his the excitement he brought to the ring, the intensity, the fans believed him, and you could tell that uh, that he was put in that spot with Ric Flair because he earned it. We should mention here that one of the things we sort of alluded to before we actually started the show here is that they're trying to become a national promotion here. Jim Crockett is. And so they don't want to run Greensboro. They want to branch out and run a larger market. Well, for obvious reasons, they're not going to run New York. They've tried to run shows in LA, but they didn't draw that well. The third biggest city in the United States, of course, is Chicago. And they had sold out consistently in Chicago. So they imagine, Hey, let's put the road warriors in a featured spot here for the tag titles and we'll sell it out. And they did. They sold all 9,000 tickets or whatever the capacity was, eight or 9,000, somewhere in there with just about two weeks prior to the show to go. So it's a sellout before, you know, they open the doors here. So it drew well, and, uh, we'll break down exactly what happened after, after the road warrior match. But this does feel like, you know, salt in the wounds for Greensboro because they had been raised that this is their tradition. And you've got to remember you know, you're talking 61 to now. So 71, 81, we're in 87. Now we're 26 years in and they don't have it anymore. Do you remember any comments or conversations about the decision to move it from Greensboro with any of the brass in the office? Well, yeah, there was a lot of discussion about, uh, moving it from Greensboro. And I know dusty was, was a big, uh, proponent of that because dusty thought we should branch out. And of course they did branch out moving the office. I mean, the Jimmy Crockett moved from the Carolinas to Dallas, uh, and that was them branching out. And now we're moving Starcade out of Greensboro. And now we're getting out of the closed circuit business and we're getting into the pay-per-view business at that time. It was not well received at all by the fans in Greensboro. It was, and I mentioned this earlier, it was seemed like we had abandoned, uh, our fans. It's worth mentioning too, that they wind up showing it on closed circuit in Greensboro instead. And they do, um, some matches at the Coliseum just to sort of pacify those fans. Um, but let me run through what that looked like. It was the yeah. warlord, uh, the warlord with Paul Jones beating Ricky Santana. Uh, we had Mike Rotunda successfully defending his title by beating black Bart. We had a seven woman, $15,000 battle Royal. And then we had hero Matsuda losing to Kevin Sullivan. And then Ivan Koloff would lose to the mighty Wilbur. So not exactly a starcade level lineup for those loyal, faithful Greensboro fans. No, because the big matches like the double cage match here, the Skywalker scaffold match was all in, was all here in Chicago. Now, back in the day when they had 86, 85 starcade, they would kind of split it down the middle. And then they had two houses in closed circuit and it was pretty cool. But yeah, they, they abandoned Greensboro. Uh, but this was also, uh, and I know we're going to get into this. I don't know if you want to get into it right now or not. This was also kind of a, a turning point in, in the, the business for Jim Crockett promotions because of what Vince did to the company at that time. Yeah. Well, I guess we should go ahead and mention that. Crockett has made a lot of decisions based on this pay-per-view. So going into this pay-per-view, I guess we should back up a little bit. Dave Meltzer has freestyled that once upon a time, 
he felt like war games 87 was going to be the first time that Crockett tried pay-per-view based on the way the card was promoted and advertised and presented. He felt like that could have been the first time that they really made a run at pay-per-view. And of course we know that didn't happen. Right. Do you recall there ever being any discussion about making war games, 87, you know, based on the way the videotape wound up being promoted and all that. Do you think there was ever discussion for that to be the first pay-per-view? Uh, there, I don't think there was, I, I just don't think they were ready for it. I think they always wanted Starcade, which they saw as their big event being their big pay-per-view. So the reason I mentioned that is around this same time, of course, Vince is buying up everybody and, uh, it starts to become a little bit of a two horse race with Crockett and Vince McMahon. And one of the catalysts that sort of made all this card come together is bill Watts. And Bill Watts's territory is of course, mid South of the UWF and they're doing very poorly at the time. And a lot of that may be based on the way the oil industry had been hit. So Louisiana and Texas, which had historically done very good on the houses. Uh, it's not really here at this point. So right. they start to do crazy promotions like $3 tickets and they're drawing decent houses with some of that, but you've got a lot of people, but not a lot of money. So very quickly they realize, Hey, the way out of this mess is for us to get into the television sales business like Vince McMahon has. So they send JR out according to the rumor and innuendo to go to negotiate a lot of syndicated deals where they're paying for TV time in all these different markets, a thousand dollars here, $1,500 there. Sure. And they're doing this with the idea that we'll have this large syndicated network. And then our ad sales team, which JR was also helping with could go out and generate a bunch of sales and that would offset what we were losing on the houses. So maybe we'll become more of a television product and less of a house show product. Well, they learned what Vince McMahon already knew. National advertisers were not necessarily clamoring to buy wrestling and they're still not now. So they're deep in the red on that. And they decide to threaten Vince McMahon with an antitrust lawsuit or demand that they buy them out. Vince passes. And they use that leverage to then go to Crockett and say, Hey, Vince is thinking about buying us. And if he does, he's going to crush you because not only is he going to have the USA network, but he's going to have the largest syndicated network and he'll have all of our wrestlers and all the contracts and all the TV. So they get Crockett to agree to spend something like $4 million, a little more than $4 million to purchase the UWF. And now they have all of this, which maybe they could have just waited out. And I guess I should ask you that based on what you had heard at the time, do you think that that business was going to dry up either way? And Crockett just could have came along and picked the bones. Yeah, it could have. The, the feeling was, is that Jimmy Crockett and I don't, I don't, I, I can't say Jr. is part of this. I don't know if he was or not, but that Jimmy Crockett was sold a bill of goods and, and could have just waited. And a lot of people blame Jr. for that, right or wrong. Yes, they do. A lot of people do. I don't know that to be the, the fact or not. Well, but Jay, Jr. fancies himself a salesperson, so maybe he sold right. it. Well, well, if he did, good for him. A salesperson's got to go out and sell something, right? And he sold it. And and listen, what Jim Crockett got was not only all these wrestlers and all this TV, but he got a lease on a gigantic office in Dallas. And it was, I understand, a spectacular office that he had in Dallas. Look at this terrible two-count. But, but, but again, it's a lease. So 
you're not really owning anything. Hey, by the way, you also get this debt. We have, you didn't get an asset. You got, you got debt. Right. And, and the, the talk after this purchase goes down, it's worth mentioning that they don't pay all of this 4 million up front. And in the end, Watts would only wind up getting like 1.2 or 1.3, still a substantial right. sum that they didn't have to pay. Um, but Crockett's sort of leveraging everything here with the hope of turning the syndicated network of stations into the wrestling network, TWN. Now he'll have a bigger roster. He'll have two sets of champions. He'll have all these television channels. And his plan and what he's getting to keep these guys from jumping ship is guaranteed money. And so a lot of people like to blame Ted Turner and Eric Bischoff for guaranteed contracts and wrestling, but that's just simply not true. It actually started here with Crockett. And one of the guys who's most famous for being one of the first for getting it is Lex Luger. And the rumor at the time is Lex Luger, who's still relatively new to the business, has a professional representative negotiate nearly or roughly half a million dollar contract. So the way the boys are being paid at this point is every two weeks they're being paid on the houses. So that's sort of the plan. Uh, let, let's go ahead and let you call the finish here. Okay. Right down to the uh, one, two, and no. As Tom Miller was calling the time, uh, we got a time limit draw to begin things. And the referee's hand went down one, two. You could tell the referee knew it was coming, so he didn't go down for three. And we get a time limit draw. Of course, somewhere on the internet, Tony, I saw that even though this match had a 15 minute time limit, the match actually goes like 14 minutes and eight seconds or something like that, which I well, found I'm sure it did. super fun. Uh, and, and we're going to, we're going to, uh, see the replay once again, as you see Michael Hayes with a sunset flip and the referee knows that there's a bell. Oh, I'm not gonna put the hand down. One, two, three. You know, I was a ring announcer at the Omni in Atlanta for a number of years and we used to shave time off of Broadway's. Yeah, I mean, Flair well, and, why wouldn't you? Unless unless Tim Whitehead's sitting in the front with a stopwatch, you're good. Yeah, right. I mean, I would shave. Uh, we would go like uh, five minutes gone in the match was actually three minutes gone in the match. Ten minutes gone in the match, actually like seven or something like that. So if we knew there was a Broadway or which is, you know, a time limit draw and it would be a 60-minute time limit draw, it would end up being like 53 or something like that. Hey, so let me ask you here. Did you think JR also negotiated his salary before he came over? Like as part of the, the UWF purchase. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty well known that he did. I can't wait to see what you're about to do right here. <laughs> Woo. I would like to say this. You probably know from what Conrad told you just last week on this program that I did file a sexual harassment lawsuit against a lot of guys in WCW. But as you know, Tony Schiavone was not named in that lawsuit. Why? Because Tony was always very nice to me. And very polite to me. And even though I know Tony, just like other guys, wanted to see me naked, he never did approach me with that. You know, Thank you very much, Missy. Here's what I enjoy about that. She sued for sexual harassment there. Fast forward 20 years, she's doing a shoot interview tape where she's ranking the size of wrestler dicks on a whiteboard. Where was that? Uh, Kayfabe Commentaries did a you shoot with Missy Hyatt where she took fan questions and, uh, then they bring out a whiteboard and they bring out all these wrestler names printed. And then she uh -huh. sticks them on the whiteboard based on who had the biggest hog and who didn't. Oh, that's terrible. Bless her heart. <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> Let me also say this. If I can talking about a misuse of talent, that was the only time we saw her on the show right there. Well, the, right only, there. the only reason you saw her on the show is because she fucked that up. If you actually go back and watch it, she says <laughs> something like, um, 
And then we've got Ric Flair and Ronnie Garvin, and they're going to go again. And then she like, looks like, oh shit, I meant, oh, okay. I'm live. I better keep going. So up next, we've got Dr. Death here and he's the UWF champion, which is their top belt for that entire promotion. But he's not really been seen on a national stage. They do have syndication, but he's here in Chicago and this is more of a Crockett hotbed and he's not getting near the reaction that say a Barry Windham is and Barry Windham here, uh, is presenting himself as the very first Western States champion. Uh, what did you think of the Western States title and, uh, who booked that shit? The Western States heritage title was a title that was designed by dusty Rhodes, so that we could, uh, go out West and have a champion out West. So dusty Rhodes booked this shit, buddy. Barry Windham, of course, is, uh, somebody that was probably getting a lot of discussion about why he wasn't in the main event here. We should mention that about two months prior to this, dusty decides, Hey, you know what? Uh, we need a baby face for Starcade, So we've got to have somebody to work with flair for the title. And for whatever reason, he doesn't decide that he wants it to be Barry Windham. Uh, Barry Windham at the time was not in the horseman, was a baby face, was over, was having consistently great matches with Flair and seems like a natural choice. But according to the rumor and innuendo, Dusty didn't want Barry to be beat on a big stage like this. And he knew he wanted to have, have Flair become champion again, whether he knew he right. wanted it or he had to. Lots of people would argue that Flair was lobbying. that He had to win the belt here, but either way, in hindsight, a Barry Windham, Rick Flair main event at Starcade could have been pretty fucking awesome. Couldn't it? Well, it could have been awesome, but then you go back and you take a look at what we're going to see later on was pretty fucking awesome as well. So the fans, if you're thinking as a fan, well, I'm getting cheated, not seeing Windham against Flair. Maybe, but then again, what you're going to get a, going to see here is pretty damn good. And I'm not talking about what we're watching right now. Dr. Death and Barry Windham, Barry Windham could work with anybody. Let me just say, so good. I, I have not seen a lot of Dr. Death, uh, from this era. I've seen a lot of Dr. Death in Japan and that is super fun to me, but this feels like the worst showing ever for Dr. Death that I remember seeing. And I find that odd because when you assume he's in there with a guy like Barry Windham, you just think. Who has a bad match with Barry Windham? Right. But, but this is not good. And the promo after doesn't fucking redeem it at all. No. Um, was the, doc, the was, promo after was just, was just full of cliches and he was completely mixed up and what he was talking about. And it wasn't a good promo at all. So you're right. What did you think of this match live? I mean, clearly this has to be a monster disappointment. Yeah, it was. And not only is it a monster disappointment, I thought in my mind, as we're doing this match and as we're given the rundown of what we got, I'm thinking if the UWF title, if we want to make the UWF title mean so much, why is it the number two match on the card? Right. That's a great point. Shouldn't it be like next to the world title? We should mention too, that one of the original ideas on this whole UWF purchase, um, was to run it as a separate territory. And of course we've heard this idea before with WCW, but we're going to, we're going to run it as its own thing and we're going to keep it separate. And that'll give us more programming for our TWN, our, our, the wrestling network. So that made a lot of sense, but of course, very quickly that doesn't happen. And you see an underneath guy like big Bubba Rogers, who's a very talented performer, but at that point in Jim Crockett promotions had been positioned as a heavy for Jim Cornette and not necessarily a title picture guy. 
and he's going to win their top belt. And then you've got an underneath tag team taking their tag titles. And then before you know it, you've got UWF guys on Crockett TV doing jobs. So it just doesn't, you know, stay the course. When did Dusty, and I assume it was Dusty who made the decision, when did they make the decision and why to just say, okay, fuck it, let's just beat them? We uh, went to uh, Kansas City to do television at one time, and Kansas City was uh, had Watts television back then. And I don't think that that Dusty and Jimmy, and I'm talking about Jimmy Crockett, got the reaction or got the feeling that they wanted from the UWF guys back then. And not only that, I, I think it's ego-driven. It, it's, it's, it's just plain ego that Dusty and Jimmy wanted Jim Crockett promotions, the NWA, to mean more. And they just could not allow any other promotion, even though they owned it, to mean as much. It's, again, it goes kind of like Vince McMahon buying WCW, right? Yeah, it certainly feels like in hindsight, it was just ego. You can't really argue it was best yeah. for business. Check this move out here. I need you to call this because this is okay. going to be a critical point in the match. Okay. This is going to be a nut shot right here. I do believe. Oh, and wait, wait, wait. No, I need you to call that the way you normally would. Wouldn't you yell head to the dick, head to the dick, head to the dick. They're smiling at ringside because that was a head right to the dick. And Barry Windham is worried about the Johnson of the champion. And he, well, he should, because I don't think we're doing any selling right here. Come on, get your ass in there. Motherfucker. Somebody hit my dick. and didn't hurt anybody. I know Barry, Barry Windham is demanding the referee, give him more time for his dick. <laughs> That's right. How's your dick, buddy? Is your dick doing okay, buddy? How's uh, Dr. No. Death's little dicky? Not at all. Let me try to poke it back in under the cup here. Wait a minute. I'm not even wearing a cup. Hang on a second. Uh, let me grab it. Oh, there you see it hanging on to the side there. Let me grab it and massage it a little bit. Low, hashtag low-key hurt hog. <laughs> low-key hurt hog. Okay, let me see. Come on back in. You sure it's okay? Okay, is it bruised? Will you be able to get a hard on tonight? What if Barry Wendell was like, hey, man, let me take a look. I've seen some things. <laughs> Let me just check it out. I don't know. Hold on a second. Hang on. I'm going to have to slink back in the corner here because I think the head of my dick is bruised. Are you sure? Come on out here. Come on out here. I'll check it out. No, no, no. Don't touch it. Let me just hobble over here to the side. Yeah, I'm okay. I think blood's pumping back into it. Let's go again. All right. If we fuck up another move, let's make sure it doesn't hit the head of my dick. Side headlock takeover. So he just grabs a rest hold to let him yep. nurse his dick back to health. Exactly. Um, how nervous was Jr. that Doctor Death Dick was injured? Uh, he didn't sell it like that, but as you can see, Barry came right out of it because uh, he was not able to close the legs tightly because his dick was hurting. Are uh, you trying to assume that uh, Jr. was worried about Doctor Death's dick? I, I don't think so. No, I'm just saying the rumor and innuendo. Never mind. Into the side and a shoulder block takedown. Barry went over the top. Dr. Dick or Dr. Death down and Barry goes over the top. Oh, and he hit the, he hit the table. Uh, notice that there's particle board on the floor here. So there are no, this is pre mats on the floor. So when you hit the floor, it's going to hurt. We're going to see later how Tommy Young hit the floor too. There's particle board here because there's probably ice underneath it for hockey, right? Right. Right. Absolutely. The, uh, UIC flames had a hockey team. 
We were not able to run the Rosemont Horizon back then. Uh, and, of course, not able to run Chicago Stadium where the Bulls played. Uh, so we got uh, the UIC Pavilion, which was downtown. And for Jim Crockett Promotions, like you mentioned earlier, was – and here comes the finish. One, two, Barry trying to get out three. So, you know, I thought it was kind of a shitty finish. It was a horrible finish, and and I don't believe that the uh, the dickhead was planned. I, I, I mean, I could yeah. be wrong, but that didn't look like it was planned. No, and he's still I, telling it. I imagine they call an audible with that finish because that's a pretty shitty finish where he does a header, climbs back in on his own, and he just covers him. And Barry Wyndham goes down, and Dr. Death Steve Williams is still the uh, UWF champion. Barry, now take a look at this. Barry comes back in. He looks up to Dr. Death, and Dr. Death rolls him up with a pinning combination for the one, two, three. So, yeah, that was a, they called an audible on that. The lesson, no the lesson we learn here is uh, if you get hit in the dickhead, you can persevere. But if you get hit in the head head, that's a one, two, three. Yeah. And another lesson is wear a protective cup instead of just a jock strap. Do you remember a match like that? going home on a big card like this over a, no, this, over a ding dong injury. No, this is the only one I remember. This I, may be the only one in history. Hypothetically, when he comes back through the curtain, what do you think Dusty's saying to him or asking him? How you dick doing? Great, great math, big guy. Great math. How's that dick doing? Great match, big guy. Great math. Really? You don't think he would have been critical of that shit show? No, 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 no. He wouldn't have been at all. Dusty, Dusty, Dusty was not like that. Now, every, every, everything that the guys did, Dusty thought was great. How, what do you think about the uh, midnight express here? Rocking the belts on the outside of their, their entrance yeah. gear. Yeah. Uh, also, I need to m- mention the fact that, uh, Bubba's pretty fat here, but made him mention the fact that we were back in the day in 1987, uh, with Jim Crockett promotions using music that was unlicensed. And that's why you hear basic generic music if you're listening uh, over the Midnight Express. And they would use the theme from the Midnight Express. That was their music back then. Which is awesome. And uh, it ruins the viewing experience for me. Yeah, Because when I heard the shitty theme, not looking at the card before I watched it, I heard the shitty theme. And then I see them come out and I'm like, wait a fucking minute. That's not their theme. Yeah, that's not that. Dun, 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 dun. And now here comes Ricky and Rob at the Rock and Roll Express, still in their heyday, mid '80s. Rock and Roll Express still in their heyday, and now we're getting ready to see a Skywalker's match. Uh, and uh, of course, which is a scaffold match, we called it a Skywalker's match. And there, there's so much wrong about a Skywalker's match. Uh, obviously, there's not much room to work. You're not going to see anybody plummet directly off the, the scaffold and the scaffold itself, as you see Earl Hebner, the referee looking up Earl, one of the fine referees, uh, the scaffold also was the type of scaffold that had a non-slip surface to it. Okay. So it was a non-slip surface. Like they really use on scaffolds when they like, uh, wash windows. So it would just, it would just, completely, uh, rip your skin when you landed on it. So it was a dangerous, it was a dangerous thing on many levels. Uh, and, uh, it never did excite me. 
Well, it excites me because it's fucking nerve wracking. Even watching it today, you know, it's 30 years later. I know no one falls and dies, but when you see them up there with no protection, quote unquote, fighting on a three foot wide platform, right? Knowing at any minute, this rickety old fucker that Klondike will put together could just let someone plummet to their untimely death in front of 10,000 people. Yeah. It's pretty unnecessary. Well, it is very unnecessary, but it's very secure. Uh, but the fact is, is that unless there's a good reaction shot for the fans, unless somebody actually falls off and hits hard from the scaffold to me, it exposes the business. So no, I agree. I mean, I, you don't get out of it. What you think you should get out of it. Right. The, um, the original promos for this, when they did it with the road warriors and they were showing the pumpkin fall and explode. Right. right. I mean, it sort of led you to believe, Oh, we're going to say somebody's fucking skull crack open. Exactly. Yeah. And then of course you would never see that. Of course. If, if you want to see a skull explode, you got to put Goldberg in the ring and let him, you know, mule kick Bret Hart <laughs> yeah, into exactly. oblivion. And there you see the secured, uh, scaffolding that's up on top. And there again, you just see a part of the scaffolding right there. I love you say secured as that motherfucker shaking like a leaf on a tree. <laughs> well, it never did fall. Uh, and it certainly could have. And also, uh, I, I love, I used to love when, when Jim Cornette and Bobby and Bobby Eaton would hug before a match. That was one of my favorite parts. Uh, I don't think we've mentioned the fact that the first time since we started all this, uh, Conrad, that, uh, this is the first time that you and I together are seen Tommy young in the center of the ring. I don't actually think that's right. I think we saw him in clash of the champions. Did we really? But at that point, he was not established as a central character on our show. <laughs> okay, right. Exactly. Since he's been, that's what I meant. Since he's been established as a central character, it's the first time we're seeing him. Well, I wonder what he would have said had they asked him to climb on top of the scaffold. It said up there, and then the barbarian would have come out and he would have gone up on the, the scaffolding. And now, before the match even starts, Ricky Morton. Gets the sidewalk slam from Big Bubba. And now up on top, Robert Gibson, speaking of uh, ding-dongs, uh, is waiting away on. Do you think, well, do you think Robert that? Gibson has a nickname for uh, his hog? Hmm. I bet he calls yeah. it One-Eyed Jack. Or, or the Express. Ricky was rock and roll and he was the Express. See that the that scaffolding is very unforgiving. I mean, that's just tearing. Look at as up. you say, it's secure and it's moving left and right. Like just, I'm scared of heights. I think most fat yeah, guys me are. Too. Um, yeah. there's no chance I'm fucking doing. It. Like I'm going to yeah. do mortgages forever. I don't want to do this. Well, you know, I I was ho- I was I remember talking to Dennis Condry about this because you know Dennis did the first one, and uh, I think it's kind of one of the reasons that Dennis Condry actually left. Because he thought they should have gotten paid a lot more for being on a scaffold and risking their life like this. I mean, look, you can get hurt in any wrestling match, right? You're risking your life when you have some sort of physical physicality. But when you're this high, you know, anything can happen. Holy shit. It's worth mentioning that here in 87 is when Dennis Condry just up and left the promotion. And uh, sweet Stan Lane has taken his place. 
Right. This is something that, man, he's really, they're really getting after it with that damn racket. <laughs> well, they got to make something look real. Cause the only thing you can do is walk straight ahead or lay down. Also found it funny that, uh, almost everybody gets color in this match. And I understand right. that you're trying to sell the steel and all that, but at this point, can the fans even really fucking see? No, they can't. But I want to tell you, if you get your forehead onto the uh, surface of that, uh, scaffold, you're going to get color, whether you like it or not. That's how rough it was up there. I don't know why, but seeing Ricky Morton use that. It, it, Ricky probably does that with floss waters now, right? right? I feel like that's the same motion. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's Tennessee thing. I, I believe. I mean, you have floss waters in Georgia. Come on. Uh, no, we have fly paper in Georgia. Oh, look at you fancy. Yeah. Thank you very much. And now what the hell is this powder? And where do you get the powder from? No, it's not powder. This is wrestling. This is salt. Salt. Oh yes. Salt in the wound. They're trying to throw hoot Gibson head first out. Look at Bobby Eaton with some blood. Wow. I don't get it guys. And I guess the fans are excited about it. Uh, what, what it's going to lead to also is them taking down this scaffolding after the match and a prolonged period of horrible interviews. And of course the, the lighting is not that good around the ring. Jim Cornette's in the dark and now here's a double team. Oh, this is so dangerous duck. No, he didn't duck. Do you remember talking, uh, to Bobby Eaton about scaffold matches? It feels like he was in more than his fair share of these shits. Oh yeah. I talked to him about scaffold matches a lot. What did he think? Uh, he would say something like, <laughs> and I didn't ever understand what the fuck he said. So I just went on to somebody else. Um, are you saying that I'm the most, um, I can't believe this is real, but go ahead, go ahead, get it out. I'm the best speaking Huntsvillian. You know, you're the only speaking Huntsvillian. I know. Well, there you go. Okay. Uh, but uh, like Arn Anderson used to say, uh, Bobby Eaton's family grew up behind the uh, behind the nuclear plant uh, where they built all the spaceships. So all the Eatons had four eyes and three ears, and, and that's why Bobby started talking like that. You know, what I think about when I see a match like this is I think, boy, if we could get like four of the best wrestlers in the world and put yeah. them in a spot where they can't have a wrestling match, boy, that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and so, I, and I get that dusty is a fucking booking genius and we've broken yeah. that down here on the show a million times, yeah. but right. to me, dusty's a guy who understands what makes a good match and what makes a not so good match. And yeah. it feels like right. at this point he's enamored enough. And maybe it was the era where you feel like you need a gimmick for every match. Right. So you had title right. versus title before, and you had, you know, a six man with a lot of single stars before, and you're going to have cage matches later and his match will be a step where he has to be suspended for 90 days. If he loses, he got lots of steps and maybe that's sure. the thing is you need a gimmick match. You need stipulations, but you've got four of the best fucking wrestlers in the world here. And you're not putting them in a spot where they have ring ropes or a ring. And I understand that, but it's your big event and you want it to be a spectacle. You want it to be more than just your regular house shows. So you have a lot of gimmicks, right? Well, no, so I'm, not, I'm not arguing that. I'm saying, right. why would you have a guy like Nikita Koloff who can't fucking work his way out of a paper bag? 
He's he's all punches and kicks. Why wouldn't you put right. Nikita Koloff up here? Why wouldn't you put well, the Road Warriors up here? Yeah, but well, but I would think because you put your athletic guys up there so they don't kill themselves. So let's maybe take the guys guy, who can't maybe, wrestle and put them in the ring and take the guys who can wrestle and put them on a thing they can't wrestle on. Okay, and I understand that. I understand that as well. But I also think you got to put guys up there that you think can handle it. Nikita, if Nikita Koloff and let's say Crusher Khrushchev were against the Road Warriors on the scaffold, you know, someone really could have fallen to their death. Well, so you put guys up that, uh, there that you think can know what they're doing and not kill themselves. Or just don't do it. Exactly. Good point. Here's my question. Would this show have sold out if these guys were having a regular wrestling match and they're not up here on a window washing platform? Yes, they would have. So would this match have been better had they got to use a mat, ring ropes, and turnbuckles? Yes, it would have. Fucking A. Why aren't we doing that? (laughs) I I can't answer that. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, this is an incredible spectacle here. And that did not feel is. good when he hit him in the face. Robert Gibson has probably hit people in the face like that before, but probably not with a racket, not with a racket, probably with his hooter, uh, or his hoot from, from the next room. That's what I'm saying. It was about three feet away like that too. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. The, that Bobby Eaton bump right there. That's like what every girl in the mid Atlantic area did in 86. They got hit in the face, did a turnabout flare face bump. Yeah. You know, Robert Gibson is still promoting wrestling in, in uh, Georgia, in Douglasville. And he's working on the right, man. He's really just nailing Bobby Eaton with this thing. I know he is. And, and Bobby didn't mind it. And now Stan is going to be, uh, and, and again, you've got to say, are you ready to go? Yes, I'm ready to go. The most and nonsensical fucking bump in wrestling. What's that? Like he's doing, I mean, he's doing the stupid ass monkey bar bump. I mean, I get that's the way you've got to do it, but that's the way you got to do it. Unless you fall, unless you climb down the side there and go back into the, into the, uh, into the ring. But then again, you could break your back. That's the only bump you can do. Do you know who new Jack is? Uh, I know I've heard of him. Do you ever heard of, uh, Vic Grimes? No, I'm not. I'm going to send you a clip of a star of a uh, scaffold match that happened in like 2000 or 2001, maybe Oh two, somewhere in there. And still doing them back then. New Jack threw another wrestler named Vic Grimes off of the scaffold and threw some tables. It's the craziest bump ever. So I'm going to need you to call this finish here. I feel (laughs) hoot. Gibson with both he, legs. He's making Skywalker angels. Oh, <laughs> and down goes Bobby Eaton. Oh, and the winners, the rock and roll express, but we're not done yet. Jim Cornette's had enough great reaction. Chopping the fans. Cornette's piss. Oh, he's upset. Bubba, get up there. Wait a second. Go up there. Get those motherfuckers. Get them right now. I don't care if one of them's got a big, oh, Chicago loves the rock and roll express. I bet they will tonight. Klondike Bill Bubba goes up. Bubba goes up top and now, boy, I'm telling you, Bubba was scared to fucking death to go up here. That I know for sure, but he did a great job with the racket. Okay. Motherfucker. Come on over here. I love Robert Gibson's like, oh man, this big motherfucker's fixing to get you, Ricky. I'm going to go ahead and climb down. (laughs) Exactly. I'm going to take my coat off. Ricky, knowing that Bubba's scared to death. You notice how Ricky's not moving. 
He wants Bubba to walk towards him. Bubba takes one, two steps up. All right. Let's see. You come here, motherfucker. Ricky said, no, you come here. <laughs> this is a this is a hilarious standoff if you know how Bubba feels about being on top here. Because Ricky Morton's fucking with him. Oh, a nut shot, and he's gone. Yeah, because Ricky's fucking with him. And who knows? Knowing Ricky Morton, that could have been a legit nut shot right there. It's worth mentioning Bubba is 24 years old right here. Wow. Wow. How about that? I remember we first saw Ray trailer, another great reaction. I love those real good fan reaction shots. Uh, we first saw red trailer wrestle on television, uh, on an enhancement match on TBS during the studio. I remember dusty saying after that was over that day, we got to do something with this guy because this guy's big and can work. And that's how big Bubba was born. Well, so there you go. Yes, We're sending the fans home happy here. Yeah. Midnight Express, the baby faces getting the win. The crowd's really into it. But yeah. I think we're going to see a replay of the finish here. And this is like snow angels except in the sky. Look at this. Yes, sir. Get your ass off. Get your ass off. One, two, uh, one hand. Motherfucker, I might as well go ahead and just drop. Oh, you blow out a knee right there, guys. Also, what was kind of uh, off kilter here was the fact that, uh, uh, Jim Cornette is uh, going crazy now. Uh, Tom Miller would announce the winner long after the guys were gone for the ring. Did you notice that? Yeah, that felt really, really weird to me. Like, yeah, why wouldn't you weird. do it right yeah. then and just let the fans know what's up? Yeah, it was miscommunication. Tom wouldn't talk until they told him to. And a lot of times they would forget to tell Tom to announce the winners. <laughs> That's just, uh, once again, it's a small time mom and pops company trying to do a, a big time television show. So All right, what, what uh, do you think JR is saying to you right here? Uh, he's saying, uh, Tony, I'm so glad I'm with you guys right now. Uh, I'm really happy to be working with you. And the fact is that I sold, uh, the UWF to Jimmy Crockett, got myself a real good salary, probably three times of what you're making. Jim, I know, I know, I understand, but now let's go back. And let's talk to uh, Michael P.S. Hayes and gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and Precious. Now, I want, want to say here that, you know, Bob Cottle, you're one of the legends in wrestling. Thank you very much. And I always have respected you. But I'm going to take this entire interview because I don't want this motherfucker to my left, Michael P.S. Hayes, to say a word. Because we've heard that Freeburg, Southern, Freebird, Southern rock and roll rap to the point to where it makes me fucking sick. So I'm going to take off this whole interview and we'll talk about the match. Yeah, we didn't win the match. We went a Broadway and I didn't really want to go Broadway because I thought we should go over, but they would not let us go over. They wanted a Broadway. So they thought, well, let's get some of the great workers that can work and start things and have a great match to begin things. And I thought, well, you got me, you got sting, you got Zabisco, you got hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert, you got Rick Steiner. Where the fuck does this Freebird come in here? What the fuck's he doing in the match? So basically, here's what I'm telling you, Bob Cotto. I'm going to talk this entire interview. Now, I know what we're doing. We're wasting time so they can take down the scaffold. That's right. Uh, go ahead and nod your head, Michael. Very good. Well, as, so we're going to waste plenty of time here, but I got news for you. If you think this interview sucks, wait till you hear what's coming up. Because Dr. Death Steve Williams not going to be able to put two words together. Not two words together. Let me also say that as we go through time here, I'm going to cut my hair real short. I'm going to become a pilot. 
I'm going to make a lot of money, and Michael Hayes is still going to be in wrestling. So how about that? Not only that, Michael P.S. Hayes, we do understand, is going to gain about 400 pounds. That's right, baby. 400 pounds what he's going to gain. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to gain. Yeah, 400 pounds. He's going to put, no, no, I'm not. Yeah, he's going to put a purple suit on, and he's going to gain about 400 pounds. But don't worry, because he's still going to be in wrestling. He's still going to be in the creative. And the good thing about Michael Hayes is we can give him shit, and he's still our friend, right? He is still our friend. He's one of the real good men in wrestling. So, Bob, I don't know how much more time i got to waste. I know Precious is looking live, but here's the fact. Coming up later, my brother, Ronnie Garvin, is going to be taking on the Nature Boy Ric Flair for the world title, and I can guarantee you you're going to love that match. Michael, do you want to talk? You don't? All right. I still got to fill it. And I'm running out of shit here to talk about, but let me say this, that I'm going to have a pretty good run with Ric Flair as well until I blow out my knee later on in 1989. So, uh, Bob, uh, take it away. Yeah, you want me to talk some more? Okay, Bob, take it away. You want me to talk some more? Okay. I know you're wrapping me up. It's time to go. (laughs) Notice how Michael didn't say a fucking word. That's because we didn't want him to talk. And now, Bob, go on to the next one. All right. There he is. Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, Precious, and Michael Hayes. And I want to bring in Dr. Death, Steve Williams. And, Doc, I would make a lot of fun of your interview here. But the fact that you have passed away uh, means I'm really not going to make that fun of it. But let me just say that, uh, Bob, I gave it 110% here today. And uh, I had my feet put to the fire. And I gave it all. And I thought that Barry Windham gave me a great match. And uh, thanks to Jim Crockett Promotions. And uh, what other cliche can I come up with? Uh, Let's see. Uh, I I don't know. I'm not a good talker. I'm a tough guy, legitimate tough guy, but uh, I'm I'm not a good talker. Tony, uh, you're ruining this. Listen, I know you don't want to do it because he's passed away, but if this was a renegade promo, you'd have a fucking field day. Let's go. Let's let's get some 210% hype. Okay. 210% Bob Cottle. Let me say this. I am the UWF champion, the UWF champion. You know what that means? Not a fucking thing. Because Jim Crockett Promotion is going to take this UWF title belt. They're going to throw it in the shitter. And it's going to end up on somebody's mantle. Like, I don't know, maybe Conrad Thompson's at the Conradison. Because this title belt that I have in my hand, right now you can take this and wipe your ass with it. It means nothing. All right. Dr. Death Steve Williams, I have no idea what he just said. Guys, back to you. Well, Jim, that's your buddy. Dr. Death Steve Williams. And uh, the guy's a pretty good performer. But Jesus Christ. He couldn't do a promo to save his ass, Jim. Uh, so tell me exactly why was he the UWF champion? Because back, I mean, we always know that champions could do promos. Ric Flair, Dusty Rose can do a promo. Hell, even Ronnie Garvin, who couldn't put two words together until last year, he could do a promo. Well, Tony, here's the fact that he's a tough guy, and we always wanted to make it legit. Legit. And Dr. Death Steve Williams is a legit guy. So that being said, we wanted to make our champion a legit wrestler. And no, he can't talk, but he could beat your ass. And by God, he could beat mine too. So stop shitting on him and put him over as a tough guy. You got it? Mm-hmm. I got it, Jimmy. I got it. So what we're doing here, we're filling time until they take get down the scaffolding. The scaffold. Yeah. 
Right. Uh, We should mention earlier that the way, you know, they're going to go ahead and keep guys from jumping ship to the WWF, like so many other territories have seen their top talent do is they guarantee money. And we talked about this a little while ago. And one of the first guys out to get a big guaranteed contract is Lex Luger. So they're being paid on the houses every two weeks with the promise of there being a big balloon payment due at the end of the year. So the way Crockett was going to be able to come up with all that cash all of a sudden is to go ahead and, and have a big pay-per-view at the end of the year and all that cash come in. And now there's plenty to go around for the road warriors, the midnight express, Lex Luger, everybody. And this is that brainchild. And the way they were able to say, we're going to get an advantage over the WWF is the WWF only has one pay-per-view. Of course, at the time they only had WrestleMania three. Dusty says, we're going to have four major pay-per-views a year. You can probably imagine one of those would have been great American bash. One of those probably would have been a war games. If they were separate, one would have been Starcade. Who knows what the other would have been bunkhouse stampede is what the next show would be. So you December. So maybe those four would be the idea. Um, so the idea is yes, you might have an opportunity to go to a bigger stage with the WWF, but we're offering guaranteed money. They're not. And we'll have four pay-per-views to their one. So maybe their one will do better than any of ours, but the total of our four shows will certainly do more. It was a solid plan on paper. Was it not Tony? It was well, yeah, it was a solid plan on paper. It was, but what happened to that solid plan? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. But before we do, I guess we should mention that this is a unification match before you know, we really get too deep in the UWF versus Crockett stuff. This is kind of the forerunner for that because this is both of the television champions taking each other on here. Of course, Nikita Koloff, and you're going to mention very quickly in the match here, there's no doubt who the people think the real television champion is. And it's not this guy. It's not Terry Taylor. I think that's one of the best television title belt designs ever, this UWF belt. But I still love that classic uh, belt design that we're going to see in just a minute here with Nikita Koloff, which belt design did you prefer the best here, Tony? Oh, I like that one too. The red and silver to me, yeah, because it was around the waist of Arn Anderson for so long. And even Tully Blanchard that meant the television championship. Now, let me ask you this Conrad as a fan, what did you think of a television champion? I've had a lot of people say that they thought a television champion was a worthless belt. Well, uh, no, I, I don't think it's a worthless belt. I do think it is a stepping stone to the world title. You know, I, I feel like, you know, the reputation, uh, to me would have been that I like this belt better than the United States belt. So I've always kind of viewed this TV title as more like the WWF's intercontinental championship. And I know most people would say it's world and then us and then TV. And I get that, but based on the reputation that the intercontinental title had as sort of the workers belt, I kind of feel like this is the same. The television title was more of the workers belt. And the television title was designed to be able to defend a title on television. Uh, and that's what the television championship was all always about. And if, you know, as long as I've known wrestling, there was a television champion. As a matter of fact, if memory serves me correctly, the first championship that Ricky Steamboat ever won was beating Ric Flair for the Mid-Atlantic Television Championship. And that's worth mentioning, too, because back in this era, of course, you had a traveling world champion, so he wouldn't be in your market everywhere. But once you had TV in your local market or it was syndicated, you wanted a champion that those fans could see fairly regularly 
But if you wanted to see the world champion, well, you had to buy a ticket and come to a show for that. Uh, we're going to see a pretty decent match here between these two. You know, Terry Taylor, we've given Terry Taylor a lot of shit on this, uh, and deservedly so, on this podcast. But Terry, who was never really a good talker, I always thought was a very decent worker. Terry Taylor carried Nikita to a, be- a, a better match than I ever thought possible. Exactly. I, I, I don't remember that I've ever seen this pay-per-view. Maybe I have. It's been a long time. It's not one where I could have just said, oh, I like this match and I like that match. I knew what happened. But as far as actually watching it, I didn't have a big recollection for this one. So I, uh, I watched it back this week and I saw who was wrestling. And I'm like, oh, fucking a cockadoodle do man. <laughs> and, and this fucking gimmick and a half with Nikita, this is going to be terrible. It's not. No, it, it's, it's a very, very well done match. And, and again, kudos to Terry Taylor, uh, for having a good match from Nikita Kola. And Nikita was very green and he showed it. Very, Nikita was almost. Goldberg before his time. Would you agree with that? Man, I swear when we were watching this, I was going to say, you know, if they put Goldberg in a Russian accent, yeah, I mean, this, this is the same thing. Like Nikita Koloff could have been Goldberg. Had he come along 10 years later? Exactly. The, the, the look and Nikita as Eddie Gilbert looks on from ringside and that's a, a UWF thing going on right now. But, but Nikita was green. Nikita did, uh, unfortunately hurt some people in the ring unintentionally. Just because he was green and stiff and and didn't know how to work, Nikita was thrown into a main event status because of his look, not because of his work rate. How is that different than Goldberg? None. It's 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 the exact same situation, just ten years later. I, exactly. But uh, again, and I think I've told you the story. You know, a lot of guys did not like Nikita, including the Horseman, including the Horseman. He alienated a lot of people. Uh to the point to where during a lot of television tapings, there was only one person that would ride to the towns with him during TV tapings. And that was me. So I got to know Nikita quite well. Did he, uh, did he still do the stupid Russian accent with you? Uh, you know what? He still did. He didn't. Yes, but he, he did more English with me. What's amazing. Of course is he's not fucking Russian and he's in the back with all the boys it's right. still trying to walk around talking in this fucked up accent. I, I equate that to Danny DeVito on the set of Batman, uh, being the penguin wherever he went. Well, okay. but, but here's the difference. Batman wasn't three years in the making. You know what I mean? Like we're, he's probably right. trying to do as much of that as he can because we're only going to shoot the fucking movie for 45 days or 90 days right. or whatever it is. Right. But this guy's like making towns, like he's in restaurants and airports and hotels and cars, and he's not always around other people. He's with guys who know, Hey man, it's a fucking work. What are you doing? Well, here's another Nikita Koloff story that not many people know about. I think maybe only Nikita and I know about this story. Uh, his first wife, uh, passed away. She had cancer. I don't know if you remember her or not. She's from Boaz, Alabama. Yes, Miss Alabama is what we would call her because she would be she would be at the TVS studios and waving at people and Dusty would come out and say, Hello, Miss Alabama, and she would wave. Well, Nikita liked her. And Nikita wanted me to call her, get her number at a TV taping, and call her and see if he could go out with her. So I called her 
in Jim Crockett Promotions office one day, and I can't remember her name. I, I should remember it. Uh, and I said, Nikita Koloff wanted to know because he, and I was living the gimmick there, buddy, because, you know, he, he he's not so good at English right now if you would go out with him. And I remember her saying, why, yes, I'd be glad to go out with him. I said, all right, so I'll give Nikita your number. She said, okay. So that's how they went out, and that's how they eventually got married. And I'm the one that set that up. How about that for a story? Well, you know, I've heard that story before, you know, not, not the way you told it, but about his first wife and it is a sad deal. And, and although we've had a lot of fun, um, you know, with, with Nikita and talking about some of the less than awesome moments in his wrestling career, he's went on to do a lot of really good things, uh, in the Christian world. Uh, he's a motivational speaker, does all kinds of appearances. And I guess he's really helped a lot of people turn their lives around. And I know he's really close with Lex Luger. And they've both, you know, been born again and have right. really become sort of a 180 from what the wrestling lifestyle was like once upon a time. Yeah. And that's true. And, you know, he also had his name, you know, his, his real name is Scott Simpson. Uh, he also had his name changed to Nikita S. Koloff. Uh, and I remember asking him why he was doing that. And it had something to do with uh, his family, that he didn't get along with his family. Uh, he wanted to not only live the gimmick, but he also wanted to, uh, uh, break apart from his family. Is, is it true that, um, Nikita's first wife, Mandy died like less than a year after he married her. Yeah. It wasn't too long after that. It's Mandy. Very good. From, uh, Hodgkin's disease. I believe that's right. The rumor and innuendo is that at Mandy's funeral, he met a woman named Victoria and he married her and they were together for 27 years and had a couple of kids. Is that right? Uh, yes. What are the odds that you actually meet your next wife as you're putting your first wife in the ground? Mm, I don't know. You know, there are, uh, it's a miracle. <laughs> there are people out there in the wrestling business who, when Mandy got sick, did not believe she was really sick. Oh, they thought he was working it. No, they thought she was working it as a way to like get sympathy well, or get out of the marriage. Uh, there was a time, uh, back years ago when, uh, she came in to, uh, one of the restaurants that we were at. And this is back in the early, this is back before she knew Nikita. And, uh, she came in, the restaurant was Malone's. We always, uh, frequently Malone's after the Omni. She came in one time and Magnum was there along with a couple other guys and she walked in and she ignored him. And Magnum said, hello. And she ignored him and she walked out. The very next day or the very next event we have at the Omni, she comes in and Magnum says, well, the last time you came in here to see me, uh, you, um, you ignored us. You stuck your nose up in the air. How come you're talking to us now? She said, oh, that was not me. That was my uh, identical twin sister. So everybody kind of thought that she was at times full of shit or crazy so the, or both. Yeah. Yeah. But both. Yeah. Yeah. Being a woman. Uh, so everybody thought that, uh, that when she was sick, there was not everybody. A lot of people thought she wasn't telling the truth because she had been known to fabricate a few stories leading up to that. So, uh, anyway, that's, uh, that is, uh, that's a sad tale that she passed away and I felt bad for Nikita Koloff. 
Uh, uh, meanwhile, uh, again, we're, we're having a very good match. Terry's doing a great job of selling the key to this hammerlock right here. And, and you got to think about this. You know, these matches are putting some time in here because this is back in the old school days when you put 15 to 20 minutes in per match. And these guys are telling the story, working body parts. Right. And it's kind of fun too, because I saw this match and I was really shocked at how good it was. I, I didn't have this expectation, but I did come away thinking, boy, this really proves that Terry Taylor deserves to be a trainer for the WWE or, or training guys to come up in the business because he knows how to tell them how to be a great wrestler as far as in the ring. And he knows how to tell them what not to do out of the ring. Yeah. To be a trainer, I would think you have to know more than just moves and counter moves. You have to know, as you're just saying, to tell a story. And he's got all that. As far as the in-ring stuff goes, Terry Taylor's got all that. The thing that according to everything we've heard over the years as fans that kept Terry from being as big of a star is some of his backstage dealings. And there's a rumor around this time that, uh, Terry was cutting a promo in the locker room just to pop the boys. And he was imitating dusty Rhodes and sort of mocking him. Dusty hears it and fires his ass. Did you hear that story? Oh yeah. That's a well-known story back then. Did not hear the promo, but I heard he had done it and I heard he was fired because of it. So, and that's Terry. I, I, I go back to this. Uh, we all talked about this. Terry did not have the mechanism you and I have. And most people have in their brain to know when to shut up. Well, he but did not know when to shut up in fairness. If Vince McMahon heard someone in the locker room mocking his voice and the, yeah. his cadence and delivery and all that. Would he fire him or would he think that's fucking stupid? I'm here to make money. I'm not going to let a guy I think I can make money with, you know, hurt my feelings and that right. all of a sudden get in the way of business. And I'm not saying that's necessarily what happened, but it sort of seems like it, doesn't it? Well, I, I don't know. He fired Bruce Pritchard, didn't he? Well, I think Stephanie fired him. Okay. All right. And I don't think it was because of the impression. All right, then. Nikita now. Uh, again, he, he's, he's getting angry, telling his story. He went for a chokehold. Earl Hebner, now he's going for his patented sickle or the clothesline, and Terry ducks it. Great job there. And see now, the fans popping up now. They see Nikita go down. This is where, this is where still, you know, you're as a wrestling fan, you're thinking, man, this, is, this thing is real here to a lot of the wrestling fans. It's interesting to me, too, the way this whole arena is set up here. Because the fans are in the front row are so far away from the ring. It feels like they're a good three feet further than normal. Does it not? Yeah, that's that. Absolutely. And I don't know who made that call, but there you can see the scaffold laying over on the side there as well. Eddie Gilbert's going to get involved in this match and we're going to miss the shot. Uh, and he's going to get involved in, uh, in somewhat close to the finish of this match. And we're going to miss the shot. Notice all the photographers at ringside. You know, back then, at this time, Vincent would not allow photographers at ringside. He only allowed his own people at ringside. Who all do you think was here? I mean, obviously, people from Pro Wrestling Illustrated are there. But who are some of these other photographers? Just anyone who asked for access? Yeah, anyone who asked for accent would get uh, access would get it. Some of the guys would be taking pictures for New Japan Pro Wrestling. There was always this girl, and I don't remember her name, from St. Louis, who took pictures all the time. If I see her at uh, Bill Apter and uh, Pro Wrestling uh, uh, Illustrated or The Wrestler would always have a photographer there. A lot of times it would be Apter. If it wasn't Apter, it was somebody else. 
let me ask you this before you guys would give press credentials to, uh, some of these photographers, would you guys sort of have a little bit of a speech beforehand about what they were allowed to shoot or not shoot or discuss or not discuss? It feels like that would have had to have happened, right? No, it never happened. They got their credentials through the promoter. Like for instance, the promoter here at the UIC pavilion was Gary Juster. They would get it through Gary Juster and they, a lot of them, you know, a lot of times you would get a photographer who had done it before. No, I get that. But like, let's say if someone from the local paper wanted to come at this yeah. time, you know, we're still kayfabing a little bit. Does anybody right. have a conversation with that guy to say, Hey man, um, so if you hear a spot, you're not supposed to write about it or, I mean, does yeah. any of that exist? No, not at all. But I do know a lot of photographers were blessed out by Jackie Crockett. He had no time for them. He was working there. You see Jackie in the bottom of your screen there. Jackie was working, uh, and Jackie had full reign and boy, he ran him out a lot of, ran him out of his way. A lot of times as well. He should. Yeah, right. Absolutely. You never got in Jackie Crockett's way. I tell you that buddy. Boy, bring back some great memories here. This was, I don't know. There you see calling spots, which obviously we shouldn't have done, but this brings back some great memories, Conrad. It really does. Back when, when Starcade was great and Jim Crockett promotions and wrestling was great. And as we move on in the show, we're going to see a great tag team match and a couple of great cage matches and just some brings back some great memories. And it makes me think as I'm watching this and I'm sure that our fans are watching it as well, watching back, uh, on this Thanksgiving of 2017, believe it or not, of, uh, how wrestling has changed so much. No doubt. I mean, it's still a, a look. There's still ring ropes. There's still a mat. There's still turnbuckles. There's still TV cameras, but the work rate is changed so much. Look at Terry Taylor, man. He's just laying them in here too. And the key to doing his non-sell job. Right now, Nikita a little bit confused about what he should do next. So Terry's going to help him out here. And Earl Hebner doing a great job. Earl, of course, and, and David, fine referees. I think Earl and David had one of the great. Now, right there, let's see. We're getting close to where Eddie trips up Nikita Koloff, and we missed the shot. And this was one of these times where Jimmy Crockett went ballistic. Because it was it it uh, it helped out with the finish. The referee, here we go. Roll up one, two, and a two count. I can't remember who called the play by play that night. Me or Jim, or we just kind of both uh, kind of chimed in together that time. Very good match here from Terry Taylor. You know, when you see on paper that Nikita Koloff's going to go 18 minutes, you're like, Oh fuck who booked this, but then you see it and you're like, man, Terry Taylor, we've dumped on him a lot here, but that dude knew what he was doing because nobody's going to credit this match with Nikita. Terry's doing all the heavy lifting. No. And of course it's all being set up. Terry took a kind of a preemptive bump here. Uh, it all set up for Nikita Koloff's sickle, which was his maneuver. And as the fans will see here in a moment, when he gets the sickle on, the fans really respond. 
There you go. See, we missed that shot completely. Yeah, I didn't from see behind, it at all. Yeah. From behind, uh, Eddie Gilbert nails the leg of Nikita Koloff. Nikita comes in, and we completely miss it. And Jimmy Crockett went nuts. And there's the shot we got. So, and, and again, you didn't have, you didn't have communication with TV like you do now. They get a lot of the shots now because they know what's coming. Back then, there was a lot of kayfabe going on. Why would Hebner try to step over Nikita there in the figure four? It, it looked like they were about to set up a Klondike Bill move. <laughs> Where he straddles him or well, somebody gets straddled? I don't know. Oh, by the way, there's a Klondike. Have you, uh, I know we both watched this uh, earlier. There is a Klondike Bill sighting here. I will point it out when you see it. Everybody get ready. Do you think Klondike Bill would have enjoyed the movie Human Centipede? Yes, I do. I, I never saw that movie, but it feels like something Klondike Bill would have given three thumbs up. <laughs> this feels like as good a time as any to tell you to go to LoisRules.com. And over yeah, at LoisRules.com, you're going to find all kinds of cool shirts, which I should mention since we're right here in the holiday season now is where you can get the wrestling fan in your life the coolest experience they can't get anywhere else this is better than just getting them a present you're going to give them an experience here's my advice to you when you order a shirt order your friend's size of course but right. go ahead and put your friend's cell phone number in there because then Ooh. they're going to get a call from tony shivani and imagine their surprise when all of a sudden a number pops up they answer and on the other end is the choice of their child is the voice of their childhood Come on, man. Get you some of that. Go to LoisRules.com. Pick out a shirt that you think your friend is going to like. And we should mention there is one hell of a sale going on. We're talking 20% off right now. Just cruise on over to LoisRules.com. You're going to get a great shirt at a great price. And what a cool experience you can give when Tony Schiavone calls your friend this Christmas. It's LoisRules.com. It's the Black Friday sale. That's coming up. Of course, this is a big weekend. Nikita Koloff walks away with both belts. And for some reason, did it look like to you that the action sped up there at the finish? Or was it my internet that did that? You know, I'm not sure. Uh, I was so busy plugging shirts. Uh, we missed the end of the match. It is a good match. Uh, I didn't realize we were so close to the end. So my apologies, but go pick up a fucking shirt. That's why we're really here. You can watch this shit anytime. You need to buy a shirt today. 20% off LoisRules.com. That's right. And of course, some of the big sellers are Tommy Young. I broke Wahoo's leg. Lois Rules is starting to pick up some steam. We don't have a shirt yet that says Lois is a miserable bitch, but maybe we should. Uh, and uh, Lois does not have know how to cook a Thanksgiving turkey. Maybe we should. Uh, but uh, Too bad that's for you that problem, you are though. married for life, but that shirt's there. Uh, yep. Nobody knows the last time Lois got a cat bath, but uh, suckers got to know. And uh, I'm pretty sure that we're going to see something here in a little bit that is indeed finger licking. So go check it out and don't forget hashtag NFLTG. That's no fucks left to give 20% off. What a cool experience you can give the wrestling fan in your life. Go to lowestrules.com, pick up a shirt, and put their cell phone number in. I'm telling you, it's going to be something they're going to be talking about. Nobody remembers what they got last Christmas. They'll always remember the time Tony Schiavone called them. It's pretty cool. And I've made some calls this week, and I, I appreciate talking. Most people say, I know you got a lot to do. I know you don't want to talk long. And I, I'll talk as long as you want. Got some questions. 
You get a shirt. You're waiting on the call. Call may not come immediately, but I'll talk to you. Check out the Road Warriors here in their classic look, all black with the black shoulder pads, the chains, the spikes, the paint. And, of course, they're really from Minnesota, but this is their kayfabe hometown. Chicago has embraced them, and they are challenging for the World Tag Team titles against what what Miller will will pronounce as the dreaded horseman. Arn and Tully. I I love when he used the term dreaded to describe them. The road warriors, man, get a huge pop. They are selling. Look at the reaction here from the crowd. They help sell the crowd. They help draw the house. And, uh, it feels like this was a a logical spot to run Starcade. If you're trying to make it a national promotion and you've made the decision to leave Greensboro, you can go to the number three largest city in in the United States at the time a place where you know you're going to sell out and put these guys in a featured match. And uh, it's hard to argue that it wasn't a success, at least as far as this house goes. It sold out here at the UIC. Road Warriors were badasses, buddy. But in reality, the stars of the show here are the guys you're looking at right now, Arn and Tully. I should mention these title belts uh, that they're sporting here. Dave Milliken actually owns one of these. Uh, you should throw him a follow on Twitter. He's probably got pictures of it somewhere on there, but I'm talking about one of these particular tag belts, not a replica, but one of those is actually in Dave Milliken's personal, uh, collection and all the belts we've seen tonight have been made by Reggie parks. And of course, uh, Reggie and Dave are in business together and, uh, Reggie has sort of passed the torch to Dave. So he's a belt maker and, uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a belt nerd and I like to see where all this stuff wound up. And you actually right. think that somewhere you have an old Crockett six man tag belt, right? I, I, I know I did have it. Uh, it was either given to me or I either stole it, but I did have it. And it was in a, uh, in a velour bag and what I did with it. I don't know. Uh, look, look at this. You know, there was I a time to... in my life. There was a time in my life, Conrad don't mean to interrupt you when I say, you know, fuck wrestling. And I don't know what I did with all my stuff. So. Call this for us. Okay. Uh, from up top, Arn Anderson, look at the power of Road Warrior Hawk. Hand on the dick, thumb up in the asshole, and down goes Arn Anderson. How, JJ calls timeout. How awesome is Arn selling right away with the chokehold, yeah. the facials, and then, of course, you know, just giving Road Warrior everything he needs. I, I was reminded watching this, and I sent you a text watching it, there's no question in my mind here in 87, 88, the single most underrated tag team is Arn and Tully. Arn and right. Tully made these guys look like a million bucks and they did that with everybody pretty consistently. And they were underappreciated by the promotion. And I think that's well-documented and I think that's why they ended up leaving. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know what the payday differences are here, but we've heard yeah. before that there were instances where JJ Dillon would make more than Arn and Tully did for a pay-per-view, which to me is just fucking ridiculous. Right. Uh, and I don't know. I, I think JJ has, uh, has addressed that. And the fact that he got payment for being a talent and being a, an office employee as well. I don't know if that validates it or makes it any easier, but I think that's why that happened. They do, they do a great job. Arn and Tully do a great job here of putting over the power of the Road Warriors, but stalling for time because they, I mean, let's face it, 
as great as Mike Higstrand and uh, and uh, Joe Laurinaitis were, they weren't the greatest of workers, and they couldn't work a fast-paced match. So Arn and Tully, as you mentioned about being, you know, tremendous. See, they're just stalling for time, getting plenty of time in there, and still putting the Road Warriors over as as big, tough guys. The unfortunate thing about this match, and you'll see it as we get near the end here, is that we have one of the real screw job finishes here that I think ended up hurting us. I mean, look, you don't have to have a one, two, three all the time, okay? But don't give the fans something they think they get and then take it away from them. Yeah, Meltzer would say something like people were sick of this finish from the house shows and he felt like not putting the belts on the road warriors here was a mistake because they were the top act in the area and they clearly drew the house or helped draw the house. And he says, Chicago was never really the same for you guys. After this, you sort of burned the town. You guys yeah. would come back here and do like uh flare and funk on top and only draw around 4,000. And even the steamboat flare classic from 89 only drew like 5,200 paid. So while it may have been successful here, in hindsight, it felt like maybe the right time was missed in putting the belts on them. Now, there is the other business side of that where some people would say, well, maybe they didn't put the belts on them because they were nervous about being able to make the balloon payment and the road warriors were more difficult to do business with when it came to things about wins and losses and title belts and money than maybe right. Arn and Tully were considered more of the team players. And if Crockett right. couldn't really come up with the money, they felt like they could work something out with Arn and Tully. Yeah, those are all valid points. Uh, and I understand that. But you didn't have to do it like this. And, of course, we're, I know we're way before that, but you could still have Arn and Tully walk out with the belts and not fuck the fans over. And what I say, fuck the fans over, make them think that they've got the Road Warriors win and then change it in midstream. So. Well, you know, we've, we've kind of dumped on him today and that wasn't my intention. Cause I, he's one of my favorite four wrestlers of all time, but dusty Rhodes is on my Mount Rushmore, but dusty was criticized for this a lot. And it even gained a name in the business, the dusty finish. Dusty did, finish. Did right. you think that this was one of the examples of the dusty finish burning a town? Well, I don't know. If, again, I don't know if this, this may have been the best dusty could come up with at that time. And you know, you, you go in with a finish and you say to the four guys and even the managers, you know, we want Arn and Tully to retain the titles and we want it to be some sort of disqualification. Uh, what do you want to do? And maybe the guys came up with this. Well, one of the things I kind of struggle with is I know Ron Garvin is supposed to be a baby face and I know Ric Flair is going to be cheered. We'll talk about that in a minute, but if you know, in your main event, you're letting a heel go home as champion. Wouldn't you on your tag belts here want to have a switch and let your baby face team. Who's really sort of the quote unquote hometown team. Wouldn't you want them to go over? Mm-hmm. Of course you would. But then again, if you think about this, Dusty's going to go over, right? Well, that, that's my point. Like did Dusty think, Hey, I know I'm not putting over the hometown boys, but I'll win. So it'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, that is exactly what he was thinking. Well, great, great teamwork here. It really does get over that. It takes two of them to even put a dent and it still doesn't work. I mean, they are putting him over like crazy. 
Yeah. How jacked are the road warriors at this point? We made a, a reference to Rick Steiner earlier, but at this point, these guys are just off the charts. Yeah. Mike Hickstrand, I always thought had the best traps in the business. The trapezius. Oh, absolutely. I, I feel like, you know, this guy looks like, you know, in a different promotion in a different situation, he yeah. could have been the ultimate warrior. Yeah, there's no question. And, you know, I, and, and Joe here, animal was, was a tough guy and a great guy too. But to me, Mike Hegstrand, unless you knew him and it's, I know it's a, it's a theme. I brought. look at that. Look at this maneuver. The theme I brought up many times is that he came across to me as a legitimate bad motherfucker that you didn't want to fuck with from his promos, the way he looked everything. No, very intimidating. Yeah. Very, very well said. Tully with a great job of moving back to the corner. Look at the facial expressions of Arn and Tully. Tully right here. This is how good Tully was. Tully's you. It looks like Tully is John with you, but he's calling spots. That's how good he was at, at what he did. And he's bumping his ass off. I mean, yes, he, these is. guys are standing in one spot and raising an elbow or, or, and, and it's just, he's working the merry-go-round all the way around. It's masterful to see these guys do this because they're fooling you into thinking that these guys are the two best wrestlers in the world. As a kid, I would have watched this and thought, man, these superheroes are beating up these middle-aged soccer dads. Um, <laughs> and now I watch it back and I'm like, man, those soccer dads are fucking talent and a half. Well, Tully Blanchard it will go down probably as one of the better all around athletes ever to wrestle. I'm just saying at, so much at the time, when you look at their physiques and stuff, like when you saw the rock and roll express and the midnight express earlier, everybody's a little pudgier around the middle than they may have been right. in the presentation in the WWF, the road warriors are not. So yeah. if the perception at the time was that the bigger, the better wrestlers, the bigger wrestlers, the better physiques were in the WWF, the road Warriors sort of challenged that mentality here. Pressing Arn Anderson with a great facial. Arn Anderson goes down facial expression. I might add. Uh, not facial. How do you do these manager. press lamps without grabbing ding dong? I mean, you're grabbing ding dong. Are you not? Oh yeah. You, you've, you've got the thumb on the, you got the thumb on the hog and you got the finger up in the asshole. That's how you do it. And now they go to the leg and here, give Mike some credit here. Great story being told here. Now, the only way to get the superstars are the, the, these great athletes down is go for the legs and keep them off. You know, if he's the bigger, stronger guy, then eliminate right. his vertical base, take him down, work on the legs. He can't beat you up if he can't stand and then cut yeah, the ring in base. half and they're doing it. Yeah. Vertical base. Nicely said. There's JJ. JJ, a little bit more excited there. than he is through any of his podcasts. Wouldn't you say, by the way, I got a lot of feedback from that this week. It's a fucking yeah. rib. We are, we are, we are friendly with JJ. We're kidding around with JJ. We encourage yes. you to listen to his podcast right here at MLWradio.com. Calm down. There's no feud. <laughs> People think there's really a feud. Oh my God. I got my, my DMS blew up. You know, we called his podcast Nyquil and all that. We're trying yeah. to help a brother out. I heard his apology. It was not necessary. We're just having fun. No. I think no. JJ thinks we've worked ourselves into a shoot. We're just trying to help a <laughs> brother out, man. Everything's all good. We know our podcast is better. It's no big deal. If anybody knows the work, it's JJ for crying out loud. Well, I think he's just heard it from other people. Like, oh, Conrad yeah. and Tony are really mad. No, we're not. We're having fun, well, guys. Maybe, maybe he's getting senile, too. You ever thought about that? Could be. I just, 
just uh, hypothetically. And now, again, they're working on the leg of Hawk here, doing a great job, Tully. Oh, God. You know what we've got to do next week? What's that? Let's have Lois call JJ. Yeah. And let's just tape it. Because the deal is, you've said before, when you're right. being deposed by the WWF, uh, if a wrong number calls my house, Lois Shivani yeah. will talk to them for 40 minutes before she knows who yeah. it is. Right. I just think it would be awesome to hear JJ who can't finish a fucking story talking <laughs> to Lois Shivani about whatever yeah. they want to talk about. That's our three hour podcast next week. <laughs> three hours. That's two weeks of a podcast right there, buddy. Uh, absolutely. All right. Again, we are just, uh, just. We are just absolutely, and uh, hopefully you're watching this on this Thanksgiving with us, absolutely amazed at the work rate of the guys 30 years ago. It's something that is absolutely, and it's not a knock on anybody. We love Zack Ryder. We love uh, Dolph Ziggler. We love a lot of those guys. But the work rate is just not what it was 30 years ago. It's not. Well, in fairness, I don't think they give a lot of time to some of the They don't. Now, on pay-per-view, they, they will have some time to tell some stories here and there. But it's really hard to do all of this if they're giving you six minutes. Yes, there is. And then the, not only that, they keep giving you six minutes, right? Six minutes, six minutes, five minutes, four minutes. When they ask you to do 20 minutes, you can't do it. It's also worth mentioning that I think a lot of the guys on the roster could do this, you know, but it's a situation where this isn't the presentation that Vince McMahon likes. I don't know that it's so right. much a commentary on the performers themselves, I think the agents, and that's obviously just trickle down from Vince say, Hey, here's what we want. And they don't want this most of the time. No, they don't want this. They've never wanted this. He's always had shorter matches, uh, ever since he's kind of ruled the roost there from the WWF with the exception <laughs> of the main event, you know, they'd give the main event plenty of time. So if you wanted, you know, your undertaker, Bret Hart match from 1997 to go 30 minutes on top, you could do that. But a tag match in the middle, probably not as often. And the fans are not conditioned for it now. So, and I was always amazed that we see a big uh, drop kick there from Animal. I was always amazed how those big guys could get up with a drop kick, both of them. Look at Hawk limping around. He's selling. Yeah, he's selling, doing a great job. Tom Miller on the side getting and, out. Of and that way. was that look was at, the DQ right there. Look at the bump Tommy Young took. Here's the DQ. Tommy Young now will see this. He's down on the floor. Earl Hebner has come out to help him. Tommy's already seen in his mind. He's saying it's DQ right there. But now we're going to see Earl get in and call the one, two, three after this big spot from the top. And this is the screw job finish we're talking about. Look at the Earl crowd reaction in. when this happens, by the way. Yeah. One, two, Three. They're standing up. They knew it was coming. Celebration, going crazy. Look at that. Warriors rule. They get the belts. But oh no. The belts are going to be taken away from them, even though they did leave with one of the belts. Look at the reaction shot here, man. People are yeah. into it. And here's Absolutely Tommy Young explaining that it's all for naught. Right. It's it's really in hindsight. It feels like a turning point where, you know, this was the wrong call. Yeah, it was absolutely wrong. I heard someone, oh, I should mention, um, I don't want to say someone, 
The Lapsed Fan is a podcast that I have heard a lot about, but I've never actually listened to. I'm ashamed to say that because I hear it's great. My buddy Jeff Jewett over at doodootrucking.com has put it over to me for a long time, but I actually listened to uh, the Starcade 87 interview that the guys over at the Lapsed Fan did with Dave Meltzer because the Observer wasn't around in 87 or wasn't published in or signed online or whatever the case may be. So normally my go-to is the observer Well, that wasn't here. So I just looked for Dave Meltzer and boom, there it was with the lapsed fan. So if you're not familiar with those guys, I want to give them a plug. They have a great series of interviews with Dave Meltzer that I can't recommend enough. But in that, uh, they discussed that, um, what if, and I know you weren't watching then, but a lot of our, our listeners would have been CM Punk actually lost to John Cena in Chicago in 2011 what might that have meant for the business? How might that have changed things? That's sort of what we just saw here because the road warriors certainly should have left. So I'll let you do your thing here with Magnum. All right. Uh, I'd like to say that, uh, we are seeing Jack Gregory didn't use Jack much. Jack was from, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, but he's talking to Magnum TA here. Magnum is talking about what just went down. And let me say that I've been with dusty Rhodes for many, many years as a friend of his. And of course, uh, as his tag team partner. But what we just saw right now was one of the worst that we've ever seen ever. And Jack Gregory saying, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing here or why they're even using me here at all. But in a few moments, we'll be going again to a uh, Bob Cottle talking to Nikita Koloff. Magnum. It feels well, like, it feels yeah. like this guy on the left used to sell term life insurance. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Jack, actually, uh, if you look up Jack Gregory and I think Jack has passed on, uh, Jack did some, uh, network sports, some NFL football, Jack, uh, NFL football. So you can tell that if a guy who did some NFL football, uh, was doing wrestling in 1987, that his career really went in the shitter. Uh, so that being said, uh, I thought Magnum, uh, I thought it was great that we used Magnum here only a year after his wreck. Fans, uh, fans loved seeing him here, but it is interesting. Yeah. The size difference. I cannot wait based on what we've seen you do with these to hear what you have to say for Nikita. Thank you very much, Bob Cuddle. Let me say, as I look up in the air, that Terry Taylor was a great opponent. Terry Taylor called a great match. As most of you know, I'm a shitty worker. However, I would like to say right now, I am the unified television champion for someone who can't work a fucking lick. For someone who speaks in broken English, for someone who all the boys hate, for me to walk out with two belts is a fucking miracle. I also like to say that my uncle Nikita Koloff is not here. He's back in Greensboro with all the pissed off fans while I am here in Chicago. And now let me also say this, that one day the boys will appreciate me. They'll go back and look and say, me, Nikita Koloff is the unified television champion. And I have run out of things to say in Russian. So let me say this, the UFWF title, the television title, they both remain around my feet. Now, did I say feet? I met my midsection. That's how much I do not know English. So speaking of feet, I'll drop one at my feet and say, this is really the belt that signifies the television champion, Nikita Koloff. The only one that wrestlers really hate. Nikita Koloff, do you know that years ago that I spit 
in the Jim Cornette's ice cream, spit a loogie into his ice cream, and he still ate it because he didn't know it was from me. That's a story that not many people know except Tony Schiavone. Jim Cornette didn't even know that I hawked a loogie in his ice cream back in 1985. But now, if he listens to this podcast, he is finding out that, yes, if that ice cream was a little bit creamier, it was because it was from snot from Moscow. I've run out of things to say. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Nikita Koloff. How about that story about Jim Cornette? And do we have anybody else we want to talk to here? Oh, Jesus. Who we got? <laughs> I just like to say that, guys, settle the fuck down, okay? There's no heat with me, Conrad, and Tony. I Everybody knows my, my podcast is boring as shit. <laughs> And I just like to say that it's common knowledge. So get over. I like Tony. I like Conrad to a certain extent. And I do understand that a little bird has told me that Lois Shivani is going to call me on the phone. Well, let me say this. I ain't talking to that bitch. I ain't having a word to say to her. Shivani's been married to her for 36 years. And you know how miserable that motherfucker is. I'm not going to spend three minutes on the phone. With Lois Shivani. You may think it's funny. You may think, oh, we got JJ. We're going to get him on the phone with her. But I ain't doing it. No, not at all. But I also like to end up this a promo saying, happy Thanksgiving to you, Bob Cottle. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Conrad. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Shivani. And I do like to say that Lex Luger, the total package, will lose to the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Why? Because Dusty is the booker. And that is the way it is. Conrad? Conrad. Tony, a lot of the people uh, have freestyled. I've read this as sort of an opinion, more than a fact, I guess. But a lot of fans these days are freestyling that they could argue that Dusty and Flair, because of ego or political maneuvering or whatever, actually did more to hurt Crockett from like 87 to 89 than they did to help it. Really? Would you agree with that? I mean, in hindsight, they weren't a fucking business. So I guess you could say that, but do you think at this point, Flair and Dusty were actually doing more harm than good? You mean at this moment in 1987? Sure. I, I think some of the things they were doing, well, uh, some of the things that Dusty was doing booking wise were not good. And I think once things started to really go downhill, and we're talking about maybe a year later, right? And into 1989, when Crockett started to go downhill, it seemed like that, to me, it seemed like that Jimmy Crockett hung on to Dusty, and whatever Dusty wanted to do, Jimmy Crockett went with, even to the point to where sometimes it was wrong. But as far as putting the blame on Ric Flair, how, how can you put the blame on Ric Flair for any of this? I should mention I was, here that uh, this robe that Lex Luger's wearing in the ring, I'm always curious where this stuff winds up. Brian Rogers, friend of the show who lives in South Carolina, actually wound up becoming the owner of this when Lex sold it on the cable TV show Hardcore Pawn a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago. He uh, Lex sold that stuff to a pawn store in Detroit on cable TV. And uh, our good friend Brian Rogers actually called and picked it up. So... There you go. 
Can I ask how much did he get it for? Do you know? I don't remember, but I remember being shocked at how affordable it was. Apparently the people in the pawn shop didn't know what they had. And that's an Olivia Walker. So it wow. couldn't have been cheap. Olivia Walker is the lady who made all the Ric Flair's and made Terry Taylor's earlier. Uh, so she was making good stuff. Well, you know, say what you want about dusty and some of his booking ideas. And yes, he had some, uh, he had some bad calls. I don't think there was any question, but no one knew how to work a crowd like dusty Rhodes. Well, and we should mention, cause we have been critical of a lot of dusty decisions here, but dusty had way more wins than losses. He had way more hits than misses. Yes, he did. They always used to say that you knew that things were bad when you saw the midnight rider, that that was the end of dusty's booking. That's what they said. It happened in Florida. And that's what they said happened with the Crockett's. And that was just the naysayers. You know, there's a lot of people out there who shit on dusty. And there's a lot of people who shit on Hulk Hogan. Uh, and, uh, they're wrong on both accounts. Johnny Weaver was at ringside here and Johnny Weaver developed the Weaver lock or the sleeper. And there's Johnny Weaver, uh, who also became a deputy sheriff, by the way, in Mecklenburg County after his wrestling years were over. Johnny has since passed on. I did some uh, commentary work with Johnny. He was a good guy. Johnny Weaver is a, is a guy that a lot of people may not be familiar with. Uh, his name smartened up some of our younger fans about Johnny Weaver. Can you recommend any matches that might be able to go look up or any opponents or anything like that? Uh, you know, I cannot, I, I cannot recommend anything, but I know that Johnny we're talking about in the early seventies and the late, late sixties was a great performer. Penny Banner was his wife. She was a great women's champion at, at one time. Uh, and I just remember Johnny, when I started watching wrestling, Johnny kind of being in the, uh, kind of a mid card guy. They did an angle with hero Matsuda where hero Matsuda put the sleeper on Johnny and Johnny bled from the mouth. Uh, and Johnny gave dusty his sleeper hold and we, we called it a sleeper hold, but dusty wanted to be called the weaver lock. And as he puts this on Luger during the match, we call it, uh, the weaver lock instead of the sleeper hold Klondike bill. There he is. God bless him. Locking the cage. Huh? How much did Klondike Bill dip back in the day? Uh, did it look like he was dipping there? No, I'm just asking. I can tell from looking at a motherfucker if he dips. They could dip. I, I think he dipped his tongue into some other things rather than to put uh, any dip between cheek and the gum. I think all the guys dipped. They were kind of like baseball players that dipped, you know? It was kind of a part of the business. You're going to laugh at this. You know, I'm pretty good friends with Bruce Pritchard, of course. And we were doing a live show in Houston this past weekend. And of course, at this live show, since we're in Texas, Bruce wants to wear fucking cowboy boots, which I've never seen him wear in his life. And he's wearing dark jeans, not the mom jeans he normally wears. These are like real blue cowboy jeans. And there's this big circle in the back left pocket. And I said, Bruce, do you have a fucking can of skull in your back pocket? He's like, yeah. When did you start dipping? Conrad, we're in Texas. You got to have skull in your jeans. This is fucking really? real. He He's working a gimmick in 2017. This motherfucker don't wear cowboy boots, dip skull. Oh God. I got to talk to Bruce. He called me on my birthday. So, uh, well, yeah, I'll go ahead and say it. He's, he's a turd. Uh, so anyway, Bruce, thanks for calling me on my birthday. Uh, the American dream, dusty roads, a lot of heat here, Conrad backstage. 
And why a is that? A lot of heat here because Luger looked so good and was really going to be our rising star. There was a lot of heat here from the boys. Tully was at the forefront of bitching about this, that Dusty would put himself with Luger and then put himself over Luger. So you got a guy who looks like a million dollars, seemingly should be your next big star. A member of the Horseman. A member of the Horseman, and Dusty goes over him. So that that had a lot of heat with the boys. Now, the fans received it quite well, I thought. Well, here's, here's my question. In hindsight, wouldn't it have been easier to put the tag belts on the Road Warriors and then do a Dusty finish here with Dusty? Well, yeah, but looking at it 2017, yeah, it would. But, man, the fans respond to all the stuff that he does. Here's, and let's face it, I, I understand Luger was a big up-and-coming star, but Dusty Rhodes was a major established star. Let me just freestyle a guess here, too. You know, we know for sure the Road Warriors had guaranteed contracts. They've got a balloon payment. Weaverlock! Weaverlock! Sorry, go ahead. They've got a balloon payment coming up. Right. And at the same time... Lex Luger has a balloon payment coming up. Maybe the idea is let's take the belts off these guys who have big balloon payments. So we can't be high and dry with our champions being able to kind of hold us hostage and potentially jump ship. Well, pretty good freestyling. And if that's the case, then the business model you talked about is all fucked up anyway, isn't it? Well, it was all fucked up. And I guess we should talk about that now because around this time is, uh, you know, once they start to build this, which is two months out, they start to really promote it. And, uh, Vince McMahon creates survivor series. And this is going to be Jim Crockett's first foray into pay-per-view. Now, of course we all know they've been promoting by closed circuit. I feel like you should just explain to everybody because a lot of people, myself included, Closed circuit was before their day. How would you describe closed circuit today? Today, closed circuit was you would go to an arena and you would see a gigantic screen and the match would be broadcast, let's say, from Chicago to Greensboro on the big screen. Closed circuit. Is that what you were looking for? That's exactly right. So the plan is to have a departure from that. And we're not going to do that this year. Uh, for this particular show, we're going to do pay-per-view now. Now, of course, the idea here is that's the WWF's territory. Vince takes this as uh, a personal affront on him. He had huge success with WrestleMania three, of course, as we all know, and that's motivation to Crockett. Hey, let's get in this game. They don't do it in more games, which is what Meltzer freestyled on the laps fan podcast. And instead says, Hey, we're going to do it at Starcade." So. Once they start promoting that they're going to do Starcade on pay-per-view, Vince McMahon contacts all the pay-per-view distribution companies and says, if you elect to carry Starcade, I will not let you carry WrestleMania. Now this is bad news to the cable companies because the first idea is Vince is going to run a pay-per-view and the NWA is going to run a pay-per-view. So we've got a cool combo where we can have two pay-per-views at once. And Crockett knows, hey, we can't compete and go head to head. So we'll move our show earlier. So the original plan is we're going to run a pay-per-view on Thanksgiving. The WWF doesn't do that. This is our biggest night. And we're going to make it a national promotion and go to Chicago, the third biggest market. We'll have the Road Warriors Challenge for the tag titles. 
We'll have Ric Flair win the world title. It'll be a big deal. Vince says, no, no. Now I'm creating another pay-per-view to fuck with you. Survivor series. So right. Crockett moves the time. Cable companies even like this idea. They think, fuck yeah, we're getting paid twice. We can do a combo deal. It can be an all right. afternoon and evening wrestling deal. And then Vince does the killer blow. Hey, that's a cool idea. But if you do it, I won't let you have WrestleMania. They were cleaning up at WrestleMania three. Of course, that was just, you know, a handful of months prior to this. They really want the next WrestleMania because with each passing WrestleMania, they've been bigger and bigger. Two was bigger than one. Three was bigger than two. You got to assume four is going to be the biggest of them all. And they don't want to lose that revenue. So the result is very few cable companies actually wind up carrying this on pay-per-view for fear of losing WrestleMania. So instead Crockett has to go to plan C, not just we're running unopposed, not now we're running early, but now we've got to resort to let's go back to closed circuits. So they do a hundred club, roughly a hundred closed circuit locations around the country and very, very limited pay-per-view. The result is less than 30,000 fans wind up seeing this show between all the closed circuit, the fans here in the crowd and the fans on pay-per-view it's roughly 30,000 cause there's 20,000 actually picking it up on pay-per-view 9,000 here. And, and then the other 10,000 in the closed circuit locations, plus the 9,000 in the house. So a disaster of a number comes in and the, and Crockett at this point has, has put all the chips in the middle. They went all in, so to speak, they've purchased the UWF for a large sum of money. They've guaranteed money to all their talent with back end balloon payments. And they've done it with the idea that we're going to run four pay-per-views a year. And now they've sort of been blackballed from pay-per-view. And this is where you'll start to see the counter programming where these two companies start to really fuck with each other. It happens here. It happens again at bunkhouse stampede with the Royal rumble. Then it happens at WrestleMania with clash of the champions. We're off to the races, but not too long after this, this company is completely out of business. And it feels like this show is sort of the crossroads for the whole promotion. Is it not Tony? It is. This is known as the sabotage of Starcade. It was well documented by Dave Meltzer on one of his, uh, uh, year end, uh, annuals that he did had a long story about it. I've never been able to find it. I don't know if you've ever been able to find it or not, but it was Vince McMahon's sabotage of Starcade, And it began this was as great as the show was, and I thought it was a great show. This was the beginning of the end for Jim Crockett Promotions. This night was. It's worth mentioning that whereas like 30,000 people saw this show, like 370,000 people saw Survivor Series. There you go. And by the way, that card is not nearly as good as this one. Uh, but you can relive all of that right after this by going to something to wrestle.com. Bruce Pritchard and I are going to keep your new Thanksgiving tradition going, and we're going to cover what counter program this survivor series 87, which let me go ahead and tell you was not as good as this. No, it wasn't as good as this, but just think had Vince not pulled this power play or whatever you want to call it, you know, Crockett might've survived. There may have never been. There may have never been, and of course, there's a lot more things happened that were wrong. There may have never been a Turner Broadcasting stepping in and taking over. At least it could have delayed it, put it that way. It's worth mentioning 
that only five cable companies wound up bucking the system and carrying the pay-per-view anyway. Four in the Carolinas, where Starcade was expected to do more business anyway. One in San Jose, California, where the company said they'd made a verbal deal with Crockett. Right. And unlike every other company in the country, their word was their bond. And in the end, that's it. So you talk about all the major markets. You couldn't get this show in Chicago on pay-per-view. You couldn't get this show in Miami on pay-per-view. You couldn't get this show in Los Angeles or New York or Houston or Dallas. This is a UWF versus Crockett territory. You can't get this in Atlanta. You can't get it in New Orleans. So the areas that Watts did well and... that Crockett had made sort of his town Atlanta. You can't get it. You you weren't able to watch it. You had to go to your closed circuit instead, or you could just sit at home and watch the survivor series. Wow. Bring you back some bad feelings there because I know we all knew what was going on and we all were very bitter about it. It was, I guess you can say it was a great business move on the behalf of the WWE, but, uh, there's a lot of us that thought it was just dirty pool in bad form. I don't know how you see it. I see it as a fucking genius business move. There you go. You know, being the great businessman you are, I knew you would. But being on the end that we were, it was bad form. Yeah. Usually so. the losers feel that way. You know, <laughs> people always say the Patriots are cheaters. People say Alabama's right. a cheater. I mean, it is what it is. If you're winning, people are going to say you're cheating. And it's not popular, but the reality is. You know, you guys were always in competition. You're always looking for a way to, to one up your opponent. You're always looking for that. And so the WWF creates Royal rumble. Well, let's do world war three. You know, it just is what it is. And you guys got down there in the mud with them when they had their biggest pay-per-view of the year, WrestleMania, you counter program it. And you could say, well, we were justified because they did it first. Well, Vince would argue, well, I was on pay-per-view first and now you're copying me. You're cutting right. into my new revenue stream. I'm doing pay-per-view. You stick to your closed circuit bullshit. All right. All right. I'm with you, buddy. But I never said Alabama Crimson Tide were cheaters. Now, there's somebody else in that state I would say would be cheaters, but not Alabama. So hypothetically, this weekend, the Iron Bowl, which is a big deal in my state, it's like a state holiday. Alabama versus Auburn. Auburn's got a great team this year that snuck up on everybody. Alabama, of course, top of the mountain, since your Bulldogs do what Bulldogs do. Uh, who do you, who do you got this weekend, Alabama or Auburn? I got Alabama. I just think they're better coached and got better players. Well, no doubt about all that roll tight on that. So I guess if I'm right, I'll see you motherfuckers the next weekend at the Mercedes Benz stadium. Well, um, there's a rumor that I'll be, Mm -hmm. uh, I'll be attending that game with a friend of ours. Oh, really? Yep. We'll stop by the radio booth. Well, I can't promise that we won't take over if that happens. <laughs> Has the word slap dick ever been said on a Georgia Bulldogs broadcast? No, but you know what Scott, what Scott Howard, the voice of the dog, said on a basketball broadcast the other day? What's that? Tommy Young. <laughs> he said it on the air? Yes, he did. Oh, my God. Shout out for that. <laughs> Scott, shout out to Scott Howard. Uh, for saying Tommy Young, not many, not many of the bulldog basketball 
Uh, listeners understood what we were saying, but Cabell Philpot, our producer, did. And, of course, I did, and it meant a lot. Tommy Young, who, hey. by the way, will referee the next match. Hey, I want to ask you this because I don't know when we'll talk about it again. Uh, Jim uh, Barnett was somebody right we've talked about a lot here on the show. And around this same time, he came back to Crockett. And to right. sort of rewind a little bit, he had helped broker the deal for Vince McMahon to buy Georgia. And so when that right. happens, he puts himself in a good spot and actually becomes a Titan employee and sort of works his way up to, depending on who you believe he's like second or third in command. And according to the rumor and innuendo is doing a lot of the dirty work for Vince. So a lot of the stuff that Vince doesn't want to be involved in or do, uh, he's able to go ahead and sort of take the heat off of Vince. And right. he allegedly then has access and knowledge of where the bodies are buried and all this stuff. But according to the legend, Vince feels like he's still back channeling information to Crockett and fires him. And the next day, Jim Barnett attempts suicide. Right. And a lot of people believe it was just a cry for help and not a real attempt at suicide. And then before you know it here in 87, he's back with Crockett. What did you hear about the firing and the return and the suicide? We've never talked about it on the show. Uh, well, what I heard was exactly what you said, that he was fired because, you know, Jim Barnett was, was, uh, one of the great swervers and workers and two faces in the business. Nobody could do it like he could do it. And it got to the point to where he thought Vince thought that he was working against him. So he fired him. He tried to commit suicide by taking a bunch of pills uh, he was rushed to the hospital. Uh, I did not hear that it was, I heard it was a cry for help. I did not hear it was, uh, to try to get sympathy from Jim Crockett to go to work. Uh, you know, I, I, I can tell you, and I've said this many times on this, uh, I, I didn't like Jim Barnett at all. He was underhanded, uh, two faced, and you couldn't believe anything he would he'd say. So. Uh, you talking about wrestling politics. There was no bigger politician in wrestling than him. All right. Now we're going to see, uh, Johnny Weaver takes a bump cameras, miss it. JJ goes to unlock and drops the key. Uh, he's supposed to unlock the cage and put the chair in, but knowing that the referee's already taken the bump, he better throw the chair in. He almost misses it, but still gets the chair in. And this is where Dusty uses it for the finish on Lex Luger. And Luger puts it in position. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then there you go. Reaches for it. And Dusty puts the DDT on him. Hebner did not see the chair in the ring, although he lays across the uh, chair to get the one, two, three. And Dusty wins the United States heavyweight title. You see the fan response there. Uh, I got to give thumbs up to JJ for improvising when he dropped the key and the match was still going on and he had to get the chair in and he almost didn't get it in. So very well done. The most hilarious part of this to me is the chair is supposed to be hidden and the referee literally fucking lays on it, lays on it, right. In order to make the count. Absolutely. It's, it's not too long after this, of course, that we would see the angle that set up WrestleMania four for the opposition and Hebner here was a big part of it. 
how does Hebner wind up leaving the promotion not too long after this? Hebner, uh, I think Hebner's departure was unexpected. Unless you know something that I don't know and have read something that they were, where he was fired. No, but I, the I, angle I don't that, know. The angle that you did, you're talking about the two referee angle, right? The twin referee angle. One of the great angles ever in my estimation. Maybe the greatest in WWF history. Could be. Could be. Absolutely. Watch JJ throw the chair here. Oh, was he lucky it made it or what? Man. Really was, as you say, Luger positioned the chair and then Dusty got the finish and then Hebner's going to lay across. But I think Hebner leaving uh, the WW or the WCW or NWA, if you will, uh, and going to the WWF back then was uh, one of those things where we didn't expect that to happen. So when you saw the angle, were you surprised? Shocked. Yeah, absolutely shocked. First of all, it's fucking brilliant writing. So if somebody yeah, over there thought of that and then right. said, well, let's just hire him. You guys probably didn't even think about, oh, we can't let them have this referee. It'll be a catalyst for their biggest paper. How would you fucking know? You know? Exactly. Yeah. All right, then Tommy Young is getting in the ring and here we go. And, and I'm going to go on record as saying, I've watched this now twice. Um, one of the more physical world title matches I've ever seen. And after watching this, I remember thinking to myself when I watched it here, God, these guys kicked each other's ass. And then I watch it back again here. And I'm thinking, you just don't see matches like this anymore where two guys just absolutely, and of course, Flair's calling everything, I understand, but absolutely are just beating the fuck out of each other. And it's great. It's a great world title match. Say what you want to. I know you mentioned earlier, maybe Barry Windham should have had the shot against Ric Flair. Ronnie Garvin certainly deserved it. Well, let's talk about that because the fans disagree. And as soon as Ron Garvin shows up on TV wearing what they believe to be Ric Flair's belt, Ratings fucking plummet. And it's almost like he has been an imposter with Rick's belt. And, uh, here comes the nature boy himself. We always talk about stuff like this. That robe that Rick is wearing there is actually owned by Darius Rucker of Hootie and the Blowfish fame. He won it at an auction, a charity auction years ago. Um, what's your favorite Hootie and the Blowfish or Darius Rucker song, Tony? Uh, only want to be with you. Really? I thought you were going to go wagon wheel on me. No, wagon wheel's pretty good. Uh, his uh, foray into country music has been very good, I think. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I still like I still like the old Hootie and the Blowfish stuff. I'm sorry. I really do. No, nothing wrong with that. He's thankful. Fairweather, because... Fairweather Johnson's another good one. Did you ever hear Fairweather Johnson? Uh, no. Old Man in Me? You ever hear that one? I have, but fair, fair weather Johnson and old man in me both sound like Klondike bill hits. <laughs> yes, sir, baby. <laughs> you know, Tony, uh, I like that fair weather Johnson. So Ron Garvin here has not been positioned as a tippy type guy, but here he is rocking the big gold belt. He won the match, uh, two months prior to this in Detroit and right. came out as the world heavyweight champion. Uh, I learned from Dick Bourne from the midatlanticgateway.com's book, Big Gold, that the company actually ordered him a custom nameplate to match the belt. But by the time the nameplate showed up, he wasn't even champion anymore. 
So right. Ronnie Garvin never got a nameplate for the big gold belt here. Never did. It was a nameplateless gold belt that Ronnie Garvin wore. Uh, but again, I, I, I just thought, you know, and again, I'm, I'm old school. Here's Tom Miller in the ring doing the ring announcing. Uh, I've seen what Ric Flair and Ronnie Garvin can do. I just think this is a, this is a great moment in Ric Flair's career and maybe a forgotten moment. Now, let, let me be clear. We're about to see a great match because Rick and, and Ron are going to hit the shit out of each other. This is yes, brutal and stiff. And you could be convinced that matches like this blur the line of reality. And yeah. I mean, they're going all out. So I'm not saying that he wasn't a worthy opponent, but him as world champion. I don't know that fans bought it and ratings and business would indicate that his reign was not a success, which is why this is his last world title run. It only lasted about two months after this. They're not sure what to do with him. So his next stop, of course, is Vince McMahon, right. where he too didn't know exactly what to do with him, but he is, you know, one of the great undercard workers. And we're going to see how he can perform when he's in there with a top guy like Ric Flair, because they do have a series of really, really great matches when he's on top. Ronnie was not a great personality like a Ric Flair was. I think that's a. I mean, that's one of those statements where you go, duh, of course not. Uh, but he was a, a tremendous <laughs> worker and knew how to work with Rick. And, and here's Tommy Young, the referee, uh, who also has that uh, Illinois Athletic Commission patch on his, on his shirt. We should mention here that this is going to be Flair's fifth title reign, and he's going to hold the belt for more than a year before he drops it again. And of course, you know, Ron Garvin, he's out here after this. Right. Um, you know, if does he really wanted to put the belt on a baby face here for Rick to work with, if he didn't want to have Barry lose at Starcade in a big prime position like this, Sting obviously isn't ready yet. He's not perceived as being at that level. He will be a few months later, but they hadn't really even tried that experiment yet. Is there another, another baby face in the territory they could have went with for Rick here? No, I don't, I don't think there is unless they go back to dusty again. Right. Which feels like at this point, how many times can you do that? Exactly. And of course they would do it and they would drop the belt to dusty a year later. Right. No, I, I think you're thinking about 86, 86. Okay. Yeah, he dropped the belt right. to dusty at great American bash the year prior In 86. I'm getting my, I'm getting my 88 80s, uh, mixed up but. a year from now. Dusty himself would be working for Vince McMahon. Yeah, in polka dots. And, yeah. Well, I mean, not exactly a year, but you know what I mean. Well, and Tony Schiavone would be there as well. And look at this. Man, Flair doing a great job. One of the chops, and Ronnie would chop him. He'd sell and drop right down. Flair checking the <laughs> checking the door, make sure there was no way out, or maybe he could get out. You know, Ronnie, Ronnie also, during the, many of these matches with Rick, had a bad back. And, uh, he had a lot of pain in his back and would have to take some painkillers to be able to work. And, and he, and Flair would, Flair would, uh, coach him up during the matches. In other words, not only call spots, he would tell Ronnie, come on, you can stay with it. Come on. And Ronnie would say, Oh, I'm, I'm dying here. I'm dying. And Flair said, no, come on just a little bit longer. They had great matches and great chemistry with each other in the ring. Look at this. Bam. 
Yeah. See, there was, there's no pulling punches there, buddy. No, these guys are <laughs> laying in. <laughs> oh, the death dance by Ric Flair. I used to be ring announcer and Flair would do that death dance and he'd walk towards me and he'd look at me cross-eyed right before he would fall face first, which would make me laugh. Great back body drop. You know, it always amazed me that Flair would take those back body drops when you think about how, how he hurt his back in that plane crash. Hurt hell you know? broke. Well, broke his, well, yeah, broke hurt. Uh, but how he would still take those back body drops. He always kind of landed on his side and never really on the flat of his back. All the way to the end of his career. He never flat backed after that like that. Yeah. You know, right. off, the, off the really high back body drops and stuff, he's always going to take it on the side. And it's right. kind of a miracle. You know, he does have a little bit of a shoulder thing, but nothing with the hips, nothing with the back. It's pretty incredible right. at his age that. He's not walking around just tore up based on the way that he took that consistently on the side. Absolutely. And look at Ronnie laying those in. Now, I don't know if those are working punches or not. I know the ones on the chest or not, but those look damn good. Great reaction shot from the fans. Those mean a lot. Good reaction shots really mean a lot on a television show. Again, again, landed on his side. The fucking Garvin stomp. Some of the dumbest yep. shit ever. <laughs> Look at this. All the way up and back up again. Is there more 80s wrestling than the fucking Garvin Stomp? <laughs> there may not be. Uh, I liked it and Flair sold it, buddy. The Garvin Stomp. What about that, JR? The Garvin Stomp. Can you imagine if JR from the 90s with WWF was calling that? He's stomping a mud hole in him and he's walking it dry. Ron Garvin, Ron Garvin, Ron Garvin. <laughs> oh, now look, Flair going to now this is, this is what I love with Flair and Garvin back and forth. They would go boom, boom. And then Flair would <laughs> down. He would go, Oh God. I saw that so many times, Conrad. And it, I popped every time. And of course, Flair with the nut shot and Tommy Young didn't see it. Cause he's so what you looking at Ronnie, like what the fuck, what, why did you go? All right, well, I'm going to start the 10 count and see, he was looking in Ronnie's eyes that time. Conrad while Flair did the nut shot. That's when nut shots work. Do one a show maybe. Well, actually we've had two, but do one a show and you can get by with it. Unlike WCW of 1999 or 2000, where we had a nut shot at every, in every match. I think it was called Ding Dong TV during that time. <laughs> Boy, was it ever. All right. And the nut shot gives Flair the advantage here. And, of course, the dirtiest player in the game uses a low blow to get the advantage. By the way, Flair consistently puts over his matches with Ron Garvin. What, talks about him, puts him over? Yeah. Well, well, he should. It's some of his better matches. I don't give a shit what anybody says. Look at this. Boom. Flair, you got to pull the punch. Notice down at the bottom there, you see the guys with the blue jackets on the table? Yep. Illinois State Athletic Commission. Uh, How much did you guys pay one? them that night? Yeah. It's, it's freaking mafia. Illegal bullshit. It's like Auburn basketball. Roll Tide. Um, what's your favorite Chicago stop for... Uh, after dinner, 
after dinner. My favorite stop was on Rush Street. Uh, what was that place on Rush Street? The Snuggery. The Snuggery. Thank you very much. That's where we picked up Arn Anderson off the floor at the Snuggery. So you've been there, huh? No, but I've heard you and uh, Rick talk about the Snuggery. I don't even know that's yeah. around anymore. It probably is not. Oh, I guess it is. It is. <laughs> uh, they have a Snuggery sports pub and grill. Is Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that would be it. Absolutely. They were just known as bars back then instead of sports pubs and grill, you know. Look at see Garvin fighting him off. Flair raking the face, the jaw, just just really small stuff that that you pick up on that just turns the match into you know, a fucking real fight. Stuff like this. <coughs> Looks like the original snuggery is closed. Okay. So chat me up. Where was, uh, where would you guys go before you went to the snuggery? Did y'all go out to eat somewhere? What's the local routine for Chicago? Are you going to eat some steaks, some pizza? What local fare are you taking yeah. in? What were the good strip clubs? Chat me up about Chicago. No, we would just go right to the bars. We didn't, we never, we never got anything to eat. They, they would, uh, sometimes they would feed us in the bars but we never went out to eat first and then go to the bar unless we were in Baltimore when we would go to Sabatino. See, that's what I always found interesting is I've heard so many Sabatino stories, but you don't hear about many other restaurants. It's normally just bars. How do you right. think Sabatino's became the exception? Because they stayed up very, very late and they served a lot of food and they were, they loved the wrestlers. So I think they, they took care of us. It's just an establishment that, that was wrestler friendly. These days, the uh, Baltimore wrestler favorite is Jimmy's famous seafood. Really? Is that on the inner Harbor? Uh, they no, but they cater to all the boys and, um, they have lots of like wrestling themed items on the menu and stuff like that. Okay. Well, is Sabatino still open? Absolutely. And it's still good. I had it two years ago. Oh, their, their servings used to be incredibly large, old school Italian stuff. Anyway, speaking of old school Italian, it looks like that Ronnie Garvin's got some marinara on his forehead here. Am I right? I believe he has found the marinara, or maybe Flair yes, found it has. for him with one of his taped fingers. <laughs> Probably so. Flair start to turn it. See how great Tommy Young is. He's right into it. <laughs> that there shows you the the uh, the era that we're in. The camera took the shot of the fans. This day, they would mug for it. That fan said, get the fuck out of the way. I'm watching a match. That's tremendous. <laughs> I love that. Or Flair he was telling Flair to turn it over. Yes, <laughs> maybe so. It's weird because Ron Garvin is the clear baby face, but the fans are still solidly behind Ric Flair. Right. Because Flair is the star. It's star power. Flair going right back to the knee. Garvin do a great job of trying to get to his feet. A little wobbly that time, and Flair going right back to the legs again. Tommy Young trying to pull him off the ropes. Now, Flair got to the point to where he would shove Tommy Young. I don't know if it happened in this match. And Tommy would shove him back, and Rick would take a bump for Tommy. Did you ever see that? I have seen that, and I think they created that bump. Yeah, you know what? I never liked it. Why not? 
Well, I, I never thought that. I, I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm old school. I never thought that a wrestler should take a bump for a referee. What about if the head rider becomes world champion? Would you suggest that in the meeting? You fucking hypocritical fucker. <laughs> and, oh, I'd like to be able to put your head into the. What did I say that wasn't true? Slap dick. <laughs> I'm trying to call this match here. Okay. That's okay. why we. All right. I'll lay out and I'll be quiet. Why don't you, you want to call it like you or call it like Jr. in like 1999? <laughs> no, I want to, I want to keep the banner between you and me going. That's what I like. Back and forth we go, but I just never back into where, uh-oh, cut my forehead. Okay. Come up a bleeding wide shot <coughs> and flare again. Oh, head first down. I go again. For those of you who don't know, he kept that blade on his finger. With tape, the little strips of tape around, uh, flair's fingers. There yeah. you go. He's doing it again on camera. Right. Right. And it was just like, it was just like little shards of razor blades. A little even got on the camera blades. there as he was going back and forth, a little wow. splattered out on the camera. Yeah. And now watch Garvin nail him here. Bam. It's the cage that's going to end this match and give Ric Flair the win. Uh, but leading up to that, man, look at all the photographers want to get that blood. Well, Garvin knew what he was doing. He posed for that picture. He made sure they got a good <laughs> shot of that. He wanted to be on the cover sure of the wrestler. Sure he did. Flair trying to get out. And Ronnie Garvin. Now this uh, later in Flair's career, you could get the ass shot with this, you know, Pulling down the trunks and I think you overstated the, the, uh, the marinara on Ron Garvin. What's that? <laughs> I, I think you overstated the marinara on Ron Garvin. I think maybe I did because the marinara is all over Ric Flair right now. Flair, of course, famously once threw his Rolex in a bowl of marinara at Sabatino's to impress mm -hmm. a couple of chicks and, uh, allegedly said, I got 11 more at home. Just like them. Who gives a shit? Yeah. I wonder how many Rolex he either gave to women or threw in marinara throughout his career. It's been a bunch. It's hard to imagine like his entire payday here went into a fucking bowl of marinara. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tremendous. Absolutely. As hard hitting as physical a match you're going to find. And the nature boy going up top again, or maybe he's trying to escape here. Then again, maybe not. No, 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 Flair would say. Lands on the side again. Garvin going with the figure four here, Conrad. You think he's going to win it? One, two. Oh, it's a two count. And the nature boy is back up. A shame that not more people saw this. As far as buy rates are concerned. No, I totally agree because even though it's criticized a lot for Ron Garvin, it's a hell of a match. Oh, can flair turn it over? Tommy young checking in flair, bleeding profusely one, two and a two count again. Well, 
I hope you've had a lot of distance between this match and your Thanksgiving meal, because if you don't like the sight of blood, you're not going to enjoy this. And we probably don't have that much more time left in this match. Flair doing a great job of selling the leg. Flair has cut himself. And, you know, I, I you know you've heard the story about taking bare aspirin before the match so your blood will thin out, so you would bleed even more. It's amazing we didn't have more staph infections back then. No doubt. Yep. Especially with Klondike Bill running around. <laughs> you never know. I mean, if Klondike Bill got gonorrhea of the eyes, you never know what he left on the ring that he put up. Wow. Flair turning Garvin right around. Knife edge chops. Oh, man, Garvin blocked that one. And Flair could not block that one. Here goes Ronnie Garvin up top. Cross body. One, two. Oh, the best false finish of the match so far. Boy, Flair, Flair's still sawing away, isn't he? You've bled enough, son. That's enough. Stop it. Into a backslide. Got him down. One, two, and he got out of it. I loved when Flair would show up on TV and start holding up five fingers, yelling five times the world champion. <laughs> yep. The belt, of course, they're fighting for here. The big gold belt is the only belt that we're going to see on this show that wasn't made by Reggie Parks. Is that your second favorite world title behind the dome globe or is the television yes. title the second favorite? No, the, the, the big gold belt's my second favorite. Cause it just meant so much. I mean, you know, when you belts become the favorites, because when you see one, you need, when you see it, you think about the great matches that you saw. And this was one of them. When I see the, the, the dome or what you call the globe belt or whatever, I think about Ric Flair and Harley race from Starcade of 83. What do you think about with big gold? Uh, I think about this one. I think about Ric Flair and Dusty and uh, the Great American Bash battles they had in 86. This is a nice Remember. sequence right here. I love this. Yeah. Very well done. And standing on the top rope, holding onto the cage, battling it out, is the 1987 equivalent of climbing on top of Hill in a Cell. Yep. Now Garvin up top. Now just laying him in here. Oh, and Tommy Young. Is that our third ref bump? Yep. And this one is a ref bump that just a small one. There's Garvin, the hands of stone, the Garvin punch. Had the referee been there in the nick of time, it could have won it. But here is your finish right here. Head first to the steel pole. Flair with the cover. One, two, three. And he kicks out right after. Yeah. At first look. It didn't look like that Garvin hit the steel hard enough, but the replay will show that he did. And Flair wins the title for the, how many times is that Conrad? Five times the world champion. Flair will leave. We'll get another shot of Klondike Bill here. Of course, you can get not get enough shots of Klondike Bill. That's what she said. 
And there he is, the world champion, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Jim Crockett's there. Belt goes up high. There's Klondike in the background. I don't know if he's playing with his keys or playing with himself, but the nature boy, Ric Flair, walks out the world heavyweight champion. Great night of wrestling. And let's take a look once again, and you'll see how Garvin really hits this one pretty hard. Wow. Ducked his head, and and you know what? I didn't even realize he kicked out after the three count, but they didn't show it on the replay. Usually that was a no-no. You know that, don't you? At this point, once all the lights are out, then they announced that Ric Flair was the winner, which I found yeah, interesting I that it's so late. Right. Like, at this point, Flair's not even in the building. He's in his car. No. He's out of here. Yeah, once again, kind of disjointed, and that's just the way it was. And now your two announcers are going to wrap it up, and uh, – well, that was Thanksgiving 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Holy shit. Tony, let's run through some questions. We got on Twitter at WHW Monday, and we said, have a question for Tony. Just reply to this tweet and then tune in to WHWMonday.com. So let's fire some questions down real fast. Are you ready, Tony? I'm ready. Uh, here's a fun question for you. Oh boy. Sean Waltman, maybe it was a comment. X-Pac, 123Kid himself, said people loved seeing Garvin chase and win the title, but they hated him as champ. Wow, did they hate him as champ. Do you agree with that? Well, apparently from the numbers that you told me, yes, they did. But I don't know if it was long enough to really hurt anything or not. Too uh, much, right? Yeah, a couple of months. Not like it was a year or anything like that. Greg Lawson says we were longing for Miss Atlanta Lively. Yeah, one of the funniest angles ever. That was the one where Flair had uh, kissed and made out with the mannequin. Greg Lawson uh, leading said, up to that, and yeah. Um, Greg Lawson says Sylvester Stallone was instrumental in the birth of Hulkamania. The theme music right. for the first few Starcades was Frank Stallone's "Far From Over." Right was the was the NWA the Frank Stallone of pro wrestling? <laughs> Could have been. That was just some catchy music that, uh, again, the Crockett's not knowing anything about rights or anything like that just used. Adam B says, Dusty Rhodes beating Lex Luger in 87. Who booked this shit? Well, we know the answer. Yeah, we know the answer to that. Michael wants to know, who did Cock-A-Doodle-Doo Man have to pleasure backstage to get on this card? Well, we know who he displeasured. We talked about that. Jason House. all of us. <laughs> Jason wants to know, any stories about Bob Keitel? Uh, Bob Cottle, I think he was one of the best. Uh, Bob Cottle, I think I mentioned this before, uh, was an assistant to Senator Jesse Helms for many years. He still lives in the Raleigh area and is one of the great gentlemen that I've ever worked with. There is no bad stories out there about Bob Cottle. He was above it all. Tony Barker wants to know who was more roll tied, baby doll or precious? Precious was. Uh, Chris wants to know, with all due respect, did Ron Gar Garvin hurt the NWA world title? By comparison, Hulk Hogan was only getting hotter and hotter as WWF champion at the time. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty good, uh, analogy there. Uh, again, th the numbers pan out the fact that, uh, Garvin's world title reign did hurt the numbers, but again, I don't know if you can say that two months really hurt it or not. Michael wants to know how many teams liked working with the road warriors. I'm sure the payday was good, but it's a painful one. 
Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know of many teams that like working with them. I'm going to have to say zero. Michael wants to know who are giving more cat baths, Flair or Ricky and Robert? Oh, God. In the mid-80s, it was Ricky and Robert. Sorry, Rick. Chris wants to know, how did the boys actually celebrate the holiday when they had to work? Uh, they would... They would celebrate uh, Christmas the day before with their family. Well, here on Thanksgiving, like, is there catering in the back? Do you guys go out together? No, What's the plan? No, there was no catering so, in the back in Jim Crockett promotions in that day. What'd you do for you know, Thanksgiving were, here? You personally, me personally, uh, I would, we would celebrate Thanksgiving on, on a Friday at home. Hypothetically speaking, who was drinking more of their own Kool-Aid at the time, Terry Taylor or Nikita Koloff? That's from Bad Money Slim. Yeah. Hey, Bad Money. Uh, I, uh, and thanks for the question. I, I think Nikita was because he was a bigger star. Adam Roscoe wants to know, did Garvin get the respect that he should with being champion amongst the boys? Yes, he did. Uh, John wants to know, did Lex have a problem putting over dusty? Uh, no. Well, so there you go. There is, uh, everything you needed to know about Starcade 87. And, uh, we've actually got the next several shows planned out for you. Uh, we're going to take a break from the polls for all of December. And, uh, we're just going to go ahead and plan out your entire month for you. And we'll bring back the polls towards the uh, middle or end of December and we'll get started in the new year with the new show. Should we run down the whole schedule for everybody right now, Tony? Go ahead, Conrad. Run it down. This is kind of the lowest Shivani of uh, rundowns because as she has my life planned out for me for the next month, we're going to plan out your podcast listening for the next month as well. So on December 4th, of course, uh, this coming Monday, you've already heard what we're doing. We're giving you this survivor series thanksgiving tradition slash starcade thanksgiving tradition all things thanksgiving a few days early so we won't have an episode this coming monday but on next monday which will be december the 4th uh, you can look forward to starcade 1990 and uh, most people remember that for the black scorpion what might we talk about when we cover starcade 90 tony well that's the story of the famous rick flair in the uh, marriott the airport Marriott in St. Louis story. Uh, maybe the funniest story that I heard you tell before we were on the podcast. I'm looking right. forward to everybody getting to hear about it. And I'm yeah. sure we'll have a great time with all the backstage interviews and skits since we're going to do it. Watch along style and you get to voice the black scorpion the following week on December 11th. We're going to keep the theme going. It's Starcade 1991. And this was the time you guys decided to try something new. It's battle bowl. What are we going to talk about with Battle Bowl and Starcade 91, Tony? We're going to talk about how fucking shitty it was. <laughs> I love it. Uh, the following week, December 18th, we're going to cover Starcade 1999. This is uh, when business is starting to dip a little bit. And this is also the show where Goldberg murders Bret Hart. What might we talk about when we get to Starcade 1999? Yeah, we're probably going to talk about how Bret Hart probably never recovered from that. No doubt about it. On yeah. Christmas Day, December 25th. I'm go ahead. And I'm sure you're going to have a lot of things, good things to say about Goldberg during that podcast as well. He drew a lot of money for himself. Um, 
December 25th. We're going to cover the Nitro from December 22nd of hmm. 1997. So this is the go home episode for Starcade 97. And we want you to watch along with us on a Monday on Christmas. So when you get tired of your family that day, Santa Claus has left the building. Grandma's out. Go ahead and turn on the WWE network, fire up December 22nd, 1997. And I can't wait to hear what you say when Hulk Hogan pulls his own head out of a box on nitro. (laughs) Good God. I'd forgotten about that. And then a couple of days later on the actual anniversary, we're going to give you another special edition. It won't be on a Monday. It's going to be December 28th. And we're going to cover Starcade 1997 on the actual 20 year anniversary. We're not going to release it in the morning. We're going to release it at the actual time the show aired. And we're going to do it just like we did for Starcade 87 here. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. And then coming up on New Year's Day, we're going to have the best or the worst of WHW Monday. It's going to be a little bit of a, a clip show, a highlight show with lots of introductions and interviews and things spliced in the middle. And a little extra bonus content that you won't get anywhere else. We've even got something fun planned with Lois that I can't believe you're trying to sell for me, Tony. It's going to be a lot of fun. Put it that way. I hope she's good and drunk at that time, which she normally is. Odds are pretty good. Yeah. You know what? When I, when I make phone calls and, and uh, talk to a, a lot of our uh, listeners, and I appreciate that, about 30, maybe 35, 40% of the guys will say, hey, uh, I got a question for you. What is Lois drunk right now? <laughs> go, yeah. And then Lois will say, are you talking about me? No, of course not. Have another drink. Well, I'll take a swig to that. Let's go ahead and recap December 4th. It's Starcade 1990 with the black scorpion December 11th, Starcade 91 with battle bowl December 18th, Starcade 99 with Goldberg murdering Bret Hart on Christmas morning. Hogan pulls his own head out of a box on December 22nd, 1997 edition of nitro. And then on the 20 year anniversary of the biggest WCW pay-per-view in history, Starcade 97 relive those great memories with Tony and I it's December 28th, Starcade 97, and then kick in your new year with a little best of slash worst of action from Tony and I. And, uh, we've got the rest of your year mapped out. It's going to be super heavy on Starcades. I hope you've enjoyed your new Thanksgiving tradition. What do you think next year, Tony? Should we go forward to 88 on Thanksgiving or should we go backwards to 86? If I'm alive, let's go backwards. 86. There's no guarantee at my age. I'm going to be alive in 2018. Well, I'm hoping so because, uh, I've got a a few shows planned out for anniversaries. So it'd really be good for me personally, selfishly, if you could not die and keep my podcast dreams alive. Okay, I'll I'll do what I can. Thank you very much. I want to remind everybody listening again that I really do believe this. The absolute best Christmas present you can give a wrestling fan friend in your life is to go to LoisRules.com, pick up a shirt, and here's the life hack, boys and girls. Put your friend's number in in your order. Pro Wrestling Tees is not going to have to con- call and confirm your order. They don't have to know. Put in your friend's number. Your friend is going to get a random call from Tony Schiavone. And it's going to make their day. And yeah, they're probably going to get a spoiler that you got them a shirt, but that's not what you're buying. You're buying a experience that they can't get for themselves. So if you've got a wrestling fan or friend in your life, especially one who's hard to buy from, 
It doesn't get any easier than this. LoisRules.com. And right now, as you're listening to this, they're having a sale. It's even cheaper than normal. So for a fraction of what it would normally cost, you can make it happen and you can be the hero of Christmas. Go to LoisRules.com. Pick up a shirt. They're all great. And uh, your friend's going to get a cool shirt, but an even better experience. So hook it up. LoisRules.com. Tony, before we get out of here, is there anything else we should mention or put over for you? I know that you guys are going to be taking on the uh, Georgia Tech. I mean, is that even a real threat for the Bulldogs at this point, or are you guys on the road? Yeah, yeah, we lost to them last year, so you never know. It's always a tough game. Uh, I, I do want to say roll tide on the Saturday after Thanksgiving, uh, and we'll see you guys in the Mercedes-Benz Dome. And, of course, you and I will have a, a lot of unkind words to say to each other leading up to that as well. Well, and maybe we'll have some fun stories by the time we get together because, uh, I mean, I may have some new memories from Bad Street. You never know. Uh Oh, but when I look at my clock, I can't help but feel it's about that time. Making her way to the ring on this Thanksgiving 2017 is Lois Shivani. In one hand, she's got a Thanksgiving turkey. In the other hand, she's got a bottle of liquor. And it looks like she's going to take a swig of the liquor and then take a bite of the turkey but wait a minute she is taking the liquor bottle she is hitting conrad over the head with it and sticking the turkey up his ass happy thanksgiving and we'll see you next week on whw monday on the mlw radio network Hello, everybody, and welcome to the MLW Event Center. I'm Sean Mooney, and we are now just two weeks away from MLW's return to Orlando on December 7th at Gilt Nightclub. Let's take a look at this fantastic card, including a double main event. Matt Riddle fights Filthy Tom Lawler, a no-DQ tag match featuring Shane Swerve Strickland and John Hennigan versus Darby Allen and the king of the death match, Jimmy Havoc. MVP versus Brody King. Santana Garrett versus Impact Wrestling's Laurel Van Ness. Joey Ryan versus MJF. Sammy Guevara versus Jason Cade. Jimmy Yuta versus Turkey's Vandal Ortegan. Mike Perro versus Saeed Al Sabah. Plus Seth Petrozelli, Barrington Hughes, and more wrestlers and matches still to come. Get your tickets right now at MLWTickets.com. Tickets start at just $15. Meanwhile, the world of MLW never stops. This week on Lucha Talk, the trio are breaking out their thinking caps, discussing a concept talked about Lucha fans for over 25 years since AAA's formation, AAA versus CMLL. This week on What Happened When, Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson take a look at the 1997 edition of WCW's World War III. Marty and Sarah love wrestling and talking to their buddies. This week, the buddies are joined by a relative of a well-known reporter who swings by with some scoop, a real alien pops in, and some NXT talk. And for those looking for a great read this holiday season, fans arguably the most critically acclaimed and commercially successful wrestling book in years, Jim Ross's autobiography, Slobberknocker, is on sale now at Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, and all major bookstore chains. Now, this book has been atop the bestseller list for two months now. Slobberknocker is not only a book about wrestling, but a lifetime story of perseverance. The book is a great holiday gift. Get your copies now. Don't you dare miss Primetime with Sean Moody this week 
as Brutus the Barber Beefcake makes his first appearance on Primetime to talk about his ongoing feud with Hulk Hogan and his new tell-all book that is going to hit the shelves this Christmas. And remember, we are just two weeks away from MLW's return to Orlando. Get your tickets and see this stack show live at Guilt Nightclub on December 7th. Tickets available at MLWTickets.com. And now it's time to get back to your favorite MLW radio podcast. Stop. Stop. 